Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. My name is Alan. I've returned from the grave of England. This England's currently a grave. Um, and with me this week, we have the venerable Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Alan. I'm glad you were able to, to get through one Friday. Um, or is it? It is Friday still over there. It's and you're, you're still sober enough to do the podcast. That's, uh, that's the reason that you weren't available for the last couple, right? Dead set. No, one of them, last month was my birthday, and I was pissed as soon as I got home, which is reasonable, I think. Um, and then the one before, I was just, like, ill, I think, which also sounds like me. But anyway, <laughs> we also have Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello. See, Alan, what you're missing out on is when it's your podcast and when it's your birthday, Matt will do his best, you know, happy birthday, Mr. Smithers impression and sing you happy birthday on the podcast. You missed that. He did that for me last year. You could have had that. <laughs> I could have had that. What a, what a true nightmare that I missed out on that. What a disaster. And Tarvin. Oh, Harvard's really, very quiet. You're really far away. It's just a bit of tiny Harvard. He has to climb up his mic. Okay, I need to, I need to sit leading forward from now on then. Is that all right? It's still very quiet. I don't know what happened, dude. We'll fix him in the, in the, yeah. in the break. <laughs> we'll fix Harvard good and proper in the break, and then we'll be able we to also, yeah, We also have a guest this week. It's one of the devs of Assault Android Cactus, which is a wonderful Australian game. You should have probably all played it by now. I assume I have on the PS4 personally it's not welcome to the stream hey thanks for having me i just realized i said welcome to the stream because i'm used to streaming now <laughs> well you know i just rolled with it because i'm that kind of guy so let's just skip over it or we could focus on it for the next two hours if you want. i actually really appreciate that i appreciate the ability of someone to just ignore the low-key mistakes and just roll with the disaster which is you know it's it's the first rule of comedy so it's like I like to ignore Alan a lot. Uh, a little bit hurtful, but that's okay. It's pretty much the same as when you say you too to somebody in the wrong context. You know, like they oh. say something. You're like, when, oh, yeah, no, you too. And it's like, no, I should not have said that. I do not want them <laughs> to, you know, that was a very specific thing that they said to me. That was not the generic, hey, have a good day kind of stuff. Uh, the worst one of those is when you're at the cinema and the guy, like, or girl tearing your ticket says, enjoy a film and you oh. say you too and you just you just have to run that's the only reasonable way to escape the situation is just to leg it as fast as you can and avoid contact yep it's cool. yeah, that sounds yeah. fair you can never go to that <laughs> cinema again so you know that cinema is off limits as far as i'm concerned the cinema is cursed <laughs> anyway we've got we've got a few things to talk about it's the ps5 launch month which is a pretty big deal also the xbox one x launched no not the one x series x why did they name it like that oh my god um uh so we've got some stuff to talk about there um and we've also got games of december obviously which matt is going to enlighten us upon um we also need to do the miku for the month and i'm not happy about it but matt what is the miku for this month ah uh, that's a good question alan um It'll be a Miku song. I don't know yet. I'll pick one. All right. Matt's going to pick it, and he's going to send it to me, and I'm going to hate listening to it. So let's go. But it will be Miku. Yeah. Uh. 
Welcome back. All right, so we've got Games of December for this month coming up, which is super, super exciting. It's a big month. It's Crimbus month, which is pretty good, which means there's always going to be some releases that are going to be coming out and trying to get us to spend our hard-earned dosh on them. So, Matt, what's coming out this month in video game? Not that much. (laughs) Now, December's always a kind of quiet month because you lose the back half of it. Um... But there are some interesting games. Let's start with the PlayStation 4. So on the PS4, on December 1, we've got Twin Mirror, which looks all right. Looks pretty good. Spooky. What a great sell. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like not shit. It looks like a game. It looks like like a game. Um, Actually, on December 1 as well, there is a game that is very interesting called Empire of Sin. Very much looking forward to that. That is the Romero's new game. Um, and it's like an XCOM thing set during the Prohibition period yeah, it's a in America. XCOM. Yeah, it should be pretty yeah. good, I reckon. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident that one's going to be fun. Um, there's also Worms Rumble on December 1. For some reason, somebody thought it would be a good idea to do like a Battle Royale Worms thing in real time. I don't get who it. Who is that for? I, want, I don't you know. Have, I really isn't don't know. that basically just Scorched Earth? Yes. <laughs> Yes, it is. Why would you play anything else if you already have Scorched Earth? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Worms for me is like turn-based nonsense, and now it's real-time and nothing. So, I don't know. I'll pass on that one. But I'm sure somebody out there will play it. Sorry, not Scorched Earth. uh, The other Scorched Earth game that is completely real-time, Death Tank. 
Did you guys ever play Death Tank, which is essentially real-time Scorched Earth, a.k.a. this? Okay. No, I never played Death Tank, actually. Never. That's never the most generic of game I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> then I we have, it. on December 3, we have a Ubisoft, a Ubisoft game with Immortals Phoenix Rising. The worst named game of all time. No, I mean, monster. Alan, you, you and I, you and I both know we've covered enough Japanese games. He's not the worst named game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Japanese when it was Gods and Monsters? That's such a much better name, though. It's yeah, so good. Gods and Monsters is just they, good. They got like sued by Coca-Cola Company or something. So you know, understand. <laughs> yeah, they got sued by Monster Energy Drinks for using the word monster in their title. <laughs> <laughs> it was too gamer. They couldn't find the gamer fuel. Yep. Mountain Dew never would have done this. They would have just rolled with it. They should have called it Gods and Code Red. <laughs> Moving on. Um, December 3 has a little game that I actually wanted to call out on the podcast because it looks like... or I've actually seen it in action. Uh, I saw some streamer play it on PC. And it's good fun. It's called F- Fogs. Fogs? Fogs? It's... Um, it's just just like, seeing the emote. Pog. <laughs> it's this two-player kind of cooperative game where both people play as a head of a dog attached on one body and they need to navigate through puzzles and stuff. It's all very silly and charming. It's actually quite cute. I quite like it. Um, I'm keen to give it a go. But, so yeah, I've mentioned that one. Um, on December 4, there is Dragon Quest XI S Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. Uh, if you have not played Dragon Quest XI yet for some reason, you can get that on PlayStation 4 now, which is pretty it's cool. It's a good game. It's Alan approved as a it JRPG. Is, it is a very good game indeed. So if you haven't played it yet, you probably should have played it by now, but if you haven't, there you go. You can now and still feel good that you're playing a new content. Um, mm-hmm. On December 8, here's a game that everybody should be looking forward to. Pure Pearl Tetris 2. Mm. The first one was great. Gold. Oh, let's go. Absolutely. I'm too busy rocks. playing the Tetris on the Xbox. I don't need two Tetris games. Yeah, but this is the real Pure Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Matt, Matt and I know what's up. Yeah. The real puzzle. <laughs> like, honestly, Pure Pure? Extremely underrated. It is extremely fun game. Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine on the <laughs> Sega Mega Drive is the best one of all of them, mostly because of the song. If there was the one person out there who remembers the song that plays in Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> yeah. Also, the Game Gear version, which slows down and speeds up on the emulation, it's really good. How hyped were you when uh, they introduced that boss in Sonic Mania, then? Oh, you don't even understand. I... <laughs> I, I played up to that moment because I heard about it, and then I stopped playing Sonic Mania. Oh, as soon as I did that boss, I was like, alright, I'm done. <laughs> I've done the this, main main machine. This is why YouTube was invented, for like, just watch the segment. No, but like, I want to play main main machine. <laughs> it's really fun, Trent, you don't understand. Moving it's on, because really mean, mean, mean Bean Machine was not really, he's not being released in December. I wish it was. It would make this <laughs> But Pio Pio Tetris is, so definitely check that out. It is gold, that game. All right, um, December 10, unless it's delayed again, which it probably will be, but I'm going to say it here, because right on, right on at this moment as we record, it is still scheduled for release on December 10. <laughs> Cyberpunk 27.7, the is Cyberpunk this... of the contents game. Um, it is the least hopeful I've been of a game's release ever. 
Like, I just know that it's not gonna, it's bullshit. It's all just lies. Yeah, it's all just vaporware. It doesn't actually exist. They just keep, it's this grand, grand troll of the entire They're gonna release it, and it's gonna be like a fucking thumb drive with a copy of Warhammer 40k Dawn of War. That's all it is. That's what the game is now. I don't, I don't expect it to be real. It's not real. It's, it can't be. But anyway, assuming it does come out, you'll be able to play all 175 hours of it or whatever over Christmas. Um, I can tell you're gonna sick about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna play the whole 175 hours like overnight. I'm gonna get the game and just in 24 hours knock it out. Um, like a right. real gamer. <laughs> like a real gamer. December 10 also brings us Brigadine, the Legend of Runezia. I think I said that right. Um, that was a really good Switch game, but nobody noticed it when it was released earlier in the year. So hopefully it gets a second look on the PS4. It's like this tactic strategy game that's got some really great art style to it and, and stuff so yeah on the playstation 4 as of december 10 on december 11 we've got space invaders forever which i didn't even know was coming out on ps4 but it is there you go space invaders on your ps4 it's just space invaders but that's okay because the space invaders is that good um i don't know what else what do we got and that's basically it for the ps4 there's a couple of little things that get released uh, we've got MXGP, which I assume is a bike thing. Um, the last DLC for Neo 2 comes out on December 17. And then December 22 brings Override 2, Super Mech League, whatever that is. And then that's it. Oh, for that's the a good name. I like that name. Yeah, that's, there you go. That's good. That's a good one. That's one for the books. <laughs> that's that's it for the PS4. It finishes on December 22. And then you have to wait till just January at this stage, 12 for the next game on the console. Hey. How many games are releasing on the PlayStation 5 that are only for PlayStation 5? That's what I'm looking at now, Alan. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Great segue there. Moving on to the PlayStation 5. Um, December 1 brings more worms. You can play worms on your PS5 too. So rate-based worms, I guess. That's what I've wanted to play on my PS5 for the last month. Yeah, I think it's the uh, free PS Plus game this month as well, isn't it? Oh, is it? Uh -huh. There you go. You right. can all play it. We can all play it. Cool. Uh, I can see I it being the next to... four boys. I can't wait oh, to add to my library and never touch it. Uh, <laughs> um, there's also an enhanced version of Spirit of the North, which was a nothing game, so I don't know why they bothered to enhance it, but there you go. It's coming out on PS5. Haven comes out on PS5. Oh, Haven! There's a game that I've been looking forward to. That was my next game for the PS5. Um, so Haven is like an RPG, but rather than a normal RPG, it's like this RPG that's all about love, and you play as two lovers that need to... <laughs> no, 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 no. You, Alan, I swear to God, go and have a look at it. It is not what you think. Is this and... going to be that like one time you made me look up that hentai game? No, no, I swear to God, this one actually looks legit. <laughs> this Haven? One looks legit. Yeah, Haven. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Like genuinely looking forward to this thing. It's not fan service. It's just. It's a 2002 multi-genre action game. I don't know what you're looking for. Haven on Steam. I'm look. I'll, I'll describe it for you. I'll read the description out because I just want to promote this game so much. Does love truly conquer all? Two lovers give up everything, leave behind their lives and escape to a lost planet to be together. You play these two lovers at the same time as they settle into the unknown and eerie world, explore the planet, searching for parts and material to fix their 
ship and make it a cozy home. Enjoy life together as a relatable couple, cooking meals, crafting, collecting resources and engaging in meaningful conversations. Fight against those trying to tear them apart by synchronizing their actions in combat, finding the perfect timing and rhythm while controlling both characters simultaneously. Glide through the mysterious landscape, explore a fragmented world and fight against what's trying to tear them apart in this RPG adventure about love, rebellion and freedom. Uh, so, it's important to note, you missed out the most important detail. This is made by the guys who made Fury. I'm way more interested in this now as a I result of that I told you. You never listened to me, Alan. You never you never believed me. You should me, have led with it's made by the guys who made Fury, a.k.a. the best soundtrack of the PS4, maybe. And also anyway, some of the best combat in the PS4. Anyway, that's a game I'm very much looking forward to. And as far as consoles go, it's next-gen only, which is cool. It's not coming out on PS4. You'll have to play it on your PS5. Um, Ubisoft, the Ubisoft badly named game is out on PS5 as well. Also, you can play FIFA and Madden in December. They're coming out on PS5. Um, and Pure Pure Tetris is also coming out on PS5. There is a game called Temtem coming out on PS5, which is that's like a Pokemon thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, sure. they're doing the early access on consoles, huh? Um, I don't know if it's early access or not. Maybe it's the full release. Oh, it? I mean, I guess it is full December, release. I can I think Weird, it's released kind of technically it. up to a certain point, and that's the full release, but it's still early access. I think, like on the PC version was. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting how that works. I always think of it as early access because of just how limited, like, what's in there actually is. Basically, like, what feels like the first 10% of a game, but uh, I don't think it actually is early access. I think you're right. Cool. There you go. Um... Yeah, moving on, uh, just there's not much else that actually comes out on the PS5 in December. Destiny 2 comes out it's, on December 8, who cares about like that? almost like there's, there's no games on the PS5 at all. And Override, right 2 Super, <laughs> Override 2 Super Mech League also comes out on PS5. It is a, a launch console, which means there is always that lull after release for a couple of months. Um, so we're in that lull, but at least we'll have Haven to play. I can't wait for Haven. I really can't. It's just going to be such a good game. Can I get Haven on my Xbox? I don't know. You can check that. I don't check I don't that. think so. I just don't know. I don't Moving on to the Nintendo Switch, because Nintendo Switch does have a range of games that are not coming out on other platforms and stuff. So it's a different list slightly. Uh, it does start with Empire of Sin. That does come out on Switch as well. That'll be the way I play it, I think, because having it on the go sounds good to me. Uh, also on December 2, Sheeran the Wanderer, The Tower of Fortune, and Dice of Fate comes out. That is the roguelike. Um in every sense of the word, that's the Mystery Dungeon. Sheer and the Wanderer is what started the Mystery Dungeon kind of um, series, if you want to call it that. And this one is a port of the one that was released on the PlayStation Vita, which is very good. Um, December 2 also brings Sam and Max Save the World, which is... Hell yeah, dude. It's fun. What a, what a good, like, B-tier series. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's charming. I remember playing it way back on the PS3, and I liked it. So I'm sure I'll like it again. Uh, Ubisoft, the badly titled Ubisoft game, comes out on December 3 as well on Switch. Then we've got Fogs, comes out on Switch as well. That'll be the way to play. Pretty Princess Party comes out on December 3 on <laughs> Switch. God, dude. I have no idea what that is, <laughs> except it's got a proper publisher. It's... It, I can't remember which publisher it is, but it's... Published by From Software. 
<laughs> it's got a proper publisher behind it, so who knows? Maybe it's actually good. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, well, I know that it's not your kind of content, Alan, but you know, other people might like it. No, no one's allowed to have fun. There is a visual novel that is coming on Switch, Fault Milestone, Two Side Above, which I think is good. I think Fault has... <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I, I think I Fault has... Heidi good... Harvard has reappeared to laugh. <laughs> I think Fault has a pretty good reputation, so that one should be good. Uh, what else have we got? Gun Pig, Firepower for Hire. I have no idea, but the idea of Gun Pig sounds good to me. So. Gun Pig, Gun Pig. Fire for Hire. <laughs> this is all yeah. still by December 3, so there's an awful lot of stuff that's coming out on Switch um, in the first couple of weeks. Outbreak the New Nightmare, if you like traditional old-school style Resident Evil. I think that's what that tries to be. Liberated Enhanced Edition. No idea what that is, but it has a dude on the little icon here, so maybe people will like it. Um, Dog Gone Golfing, which is a good name for a game. I think we can all agree on that. If you like your Just Dance, then there's this game called Bala Latino, which I guess is like a Just Dance ripoff, but it's all Latin rhythms, which is actually... I thought you were going to say something along the lines of, if you like Just Dance, Just Dance is coming out again. Yeah, Just Dance came out last last month or something. It's uh, it's all right. I broke my toe, so I actually haven't been able to play it. But I like Just Dance. And Latin Rhythms, I like Latin Rhythms, so I'm actually mildly curious about that game. Uh, Commandos 2 HD Remaster comes out on Switch on December 4. Now, that's a pretty good game. Um, and I think it'll be pretty good on the go. So, yeah. John Wick Hex comes out on December 4. That is a It's a very Mike Bithel game. game. It's Sorry? great. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it's excellent. It's genuinely really good fun. Uh, Maybe the best way they could have translated Jonathan Wick. I reckon so. I honestly think that the that game captures the spirit of the license in a way that a lot of licensed games just fail to do completely. I didn't think it would work because it's like turn-based and stuff, and John Wick is all about big action. But... It just works. It's it's really weird. He, John, uh, Mike Mike's a legend, so. Say, Matt, that it makes you feel like John Wick. It does. It does. Minus the dog death. There's no dog stein in that one, which yeah, is pretty there's no cool. There's no dog at all. Um, on December four, Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light comes out. That's Nintendo's December release. That is a port. It is a port of the. Original NES Fire Emblem, and it's been localized into English formally for the first time. So I'm actually looking forward to that. I bought the special edition thing. I've got it on pre-order, so that has like a 200-page art book in there and stuff. I'm a big-time Fire Emblem fan, so very much looking forward to that. And this is still all just the first couple of days of December <laughs> on the Switch. We're still up to just December 4. Uh, running through Drawn to Life, Two Realms comes out on Switch on December 7. I had no idea that was coming. That's cool. I liked Drawn to Life. That was nice. It was a nice game. It looks like we've lost Alan on off his mic a bit. So, Alan, mute yourself for a moment <laughs> while you fix your mic, and I'll continue talking through what's coming out. Um, Ori and the Blind Forest comes out on December 8 on Switch. Uh, that's pretty cool, I think. Ori is a pretty good The Blind series. Forest or the Will-O-Wisps? No, Will-O-Wisps is already out there. So, Blind Forest is now. Ah, so they're going back to do the first one. Yeah, yeah. 
or at least that's what it says on this list here that I've got on Metacritic. I assume it's accurate. Um, Evolution board game comes out on December 10 on Switch. I think that's a good board game. Um, I don't know. I like board games, so I saw it there on the list, so I'll play it. On December 15, Collection of Saga, Final Fantasy Legend comes out on Switch. Now, I'm really looking forward to that. That's the three um, Final Fantasy Legend games that were released on the Game Boy way, way, way back when. I played and finished one of those. They were very interesting i'll say that they were like i loved it at the time but there i think the people might struggle a little bit playing those games these days yes i think so i think that's why they've dropped it in the middle of december where not so many people will take notice of it and there won't be so many reviews popping up because i feel like that there is a very core fan base for final fantasy legends still people like me who like those things on the game where have nostalgia for them but certainly that is not a series that is going to be a mainstream hit by any means and the port on the switch is just um just straight ports of the black and white games so they haven't done anything to color them up or remake them or anything like that so a very odd collection to release but i'm glad it's there i'm glad um and then we get into a whole bunch of other kind of little releases leading up to Christmas. There's a game that has an interesting box art called our last collection that comes out on December 24. So I don't think that's going to be very good. They wouldn't release it on December 24 if it was great, but there you go. And then that's basically it for the end of the month. All right. So that's a lot of games on switch and a fair few on the other platforms. So it's, it looks like if you have money to burn in December, you'll be able to play games, which is good. I remember growing up, December was basically a dead month for, for game releases. So it's good that now the uh, the release schedule does continue right through to the end of the year. Um, I would have thought go... back... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I would have thought back in the day, though, the reason it's so dearth of releases in December is that uh, all the parents have basically bought the games from November or the prior month before that or even the month before that and are holding them to give to the children, holding it back artificially... <laughs> that no that was absolutely the reason like uh artificial market because everything had to be released on um physical media obviously because they didn't have download platforms and new super NESs and whatever um and they had to hit the all-important christmas catalog you know schedule and make sure the logistics were in play and whatever i think it was the second to last week of november if you didn't have your game out you were you were ruined. You're not going to have a good Christmas with that game. So yeah, yeah. I have very many fond memories of uh, my own Christmas period where my family and, and our religion didn't celebrate Christmas. Uh, I mean, we didn't have anything against it. We'd go for the holidays and hang out. But my grandmother was obsessed with it. And when everyone would have to go to the, the grandparents' house, like you know, the whole extended family, so my mum would uh, would buy us presents and then we'd have them, and you know, eventually we'd be had enough money to have a games console and we uh we had a game and we'd play it in november or whatever it was whenever it came out and we'd have to like rewrap it and take it to my grandma grandparents house and <laughs> pretend to like open it and get excited there as if we'd be given it for christmas 
Oh, wow, I can't believe I've got a copy of Lee Carvello's putting challenge again. Well, I mean, it would never be Lee Carvello's putting challenge because my, so... my mom was a legend and uh, we never had this whole, you know, she knew exactly what uh, what it was that we cared about and we knew what she cared about because it wasn't, you know, we didn't buy into the, the, the Christmas thing of pretending we got a gift from some guy and somewhere off on the, the other side of the world. But, uh, yeah, very, very fun times. Yeah, it See, was. It was we, like... we had the opposite attitude where my my goal was to pretend that I still believed in Santa as long as I could. <laughs> I could still get free shit. <laughs> so my last ever gift was a copy of Platinum Edition Ratchet and Clank 2, yeah, which was amazing. Deep. It was great. It was like on the sale bench at like, because I saw it at Big W that week before on the sale bench because it had like a broken case. Bloody so. hell. Alan's showing, Alan showing how how young he is right now. I was able to buy that myself. <laughs> I'm an old man. I'm, I'm feeling it in my bones. Um, but let's move on. Let's uh, let's go around and everybody can pick the game or two that they're looking forward to the most from everything that I just read out. I mean, I know Alan is worms, so we'll pass on Alan. Um, <laughs> no, can I say that if it doesn't come out this month, I'll actually die. But and I will say on record that I'm looking forward to Worms instead of <laughs> Cyberpunk. That's the one. If I don't get Cyberpunk, I'm going to stream Worms for like four days. I'm so, I am so hope they delay Cyberpunk now. I'm just so I can hold Alan to that. It's, and he it's has on to record. Stream worms I need days. to stream Worms four days in a row. <laughs> I have That's to do it. it. It's just required. It's business. <laughs> Cyberpunk, uh, okay, moving on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Trent, tell us, you get one game. Get one game? Okay, so I was gonna, I'm was i going to go with Empire of Sin, and I was just about to yell out, Empire of the Sun, and just be like, dead inside. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, get an album. Play the album on your PS4. <laughs> Put it into your disk drive. Yeah, I'm writing Empire of the Sun in my notes. There you go. Empire, um, it should be good. It really well, should be good. It's like It should be great. Otherwise, it would have been the medium, but the medium's now a January release for Xbox. So you know, Xbox has no games apparently. (laughs) We're in the same boat. And what about you? Um, Pick pick your one game of the month. I don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) By me? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's do it. I was, I was looking at I was looking at this screen and I was like oh, I was thinking about a million other things. Uh, yes. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. So one game. It's all I get. This is so much pressure. Why it would really you do is. this to your guests? I mean, I'm glad to be your friend here. It can't be Cyberpunk. It can't be ones. Cyberpunk. Well, that's good because I'm not really looking forward to Cyberpunk. Yes, yeah, I'm so glad we got you on the podcast. Just don't care for it. Um, <laughs> Alan's now human. <laughs> it's okay. Like it's okay. Games, that's fine. Well, I'm He's definitely looking the... forward to getting my free copy of Lee Caravello's putting challenge, but that's <laughs> a special yeah, bonus. There's, there's, what, there's doggone golfing. That's basically the same thing, right? That's, I think that's the same thing. But for me, I'll probably be probably be Haven out of the the yes. lot that are coming out. That looks pretty interesting. Um, but honestly, if I'm telling you guys for real, real, my backlog is so large that I don't know if I'll get to any games from this month until the time I'm on this podcast three years from now. Yeah, it's been a pretty nuts year, really. It do be like that. Like, even even if you just look at this year and the stuff that's been thrown onto the backlogs because of 
even with all the extra time we had because of COVID, it's just been <laughs> it's been a, a a big addition to the backlog year. That's I right. Yeah. I totally get that. Um, me too. Very much so. It's because Matt's been too busy playing Call of Duty Cold War. Hey, that took me three hours. <laughs> it's, it's like no, how my game no, of Matt, the month was understand. Animal Crossing. <laughs> it's the most like What's evidence. The... So we've got games as art, Matt. This game that just lies about history. <laughs> how many war crimes did you commit? I think Too it was many, yet not six enough. or seven in the course of three hours. I'm not even joking. I'm pretty no, sure it was Matt, six How many seven. of those were actually blamed on the Russians, though? Well, one of them was done to the Russians, so that one... No, no but that was definitely... their fault, though. No, you don't understand. It's their fault, so it's well, their Well, no, it was crime. okay because they are <laughs> Russians, you see. That's the, that's the thing. It's okay oh. because they are Russians. I'm pretty sure I did two to the Vietnamese. There was one to Middle Eastern people. <laughs> like a real Australian. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, it's it's a horrible, horrible jokes, but that's yeah. It's a horrible game. I, I have this weird thing where I like when I recognise something straight up propaganda, like be it the Call of Duty games or even um, you know back in the day when they had what was it America's Army or whatever. I can actually I, I can actually uh, enjoy them and just sit down and go through it, and I just know like. I'm not going to take anything away from this, but somebody out there, because they want this to be incredibly popular and they want to spread this, this message of, you know, some seriously messed up propaganda stuff has spent an enormous amount of time making this a, a relatively fun mechanical experience. And that, that, that's something I can appreciate with those games, you know, or some, this is the distinction that I can make with them. I, mean, I, yeah, I, I respect I think... that as well. I love the idea of like playing them and laughing. And being like, how can they get away with this? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I do have to admit, I am quite a little bit on the edge of the fact that they have gone now and basically decided to try and pretend that a bunch of bad things that happened in history that definitely America did. And, you know, <laughs> were seriously <laughs> fucked up. Like, I don't know if we're meant to swear on this podcast, no, but, you know, go for it. incredibly fucked <laughs> up things. That America definitely did and has totally, you know, admitted to doing. And they were like, but what if it wasn't America? Like, that's the <laughs> only thing that, that I've found concerning. The rest of the propaganda is pretty pretty easy to just, like, shrug off as like, oh, yeah, you know, they, they get paid by American military to include this stuff. So whatever. I mean, the, the propaganda doesn't affect me personally. I, like, that, that's not really why I'm concerned about those games. I mean, I can I can play a game that has a meticulously detailed Ronald Reagan in it and not suddenly become a trickle-downer. That's, that's kind of... It, it doesn't have that effect on but me. it works, Matt. You don't understand. <laughs> but so what, what concerns me more... What, the what game economy isn't a bad idea. <laughs> what concerns me more is not so much the ones that are kind of based on times that are in our living memory so the the last two the, this one and um the the previous one which is the one you're referencing with the the war crime being attributed to the russians quite infamously those ones are not so much concerned because the history is on statement of record everybody recognizes it and as soon as those games came out everybody was talking about it being quite messed up what they did um the i have more concern with the ones that are a little bit older uh especially the world war Two one and I definitely saw a lot of people out there talking up 
that they've done a great job of, you know, um, reflecting what happened in World War Two, and they assume that Activision did their historical research to make sure that it was authentic and stuff. And it's a kind of, um, it's a difficult one as well because obviously Nazis need shooting, um, but. At the same, at the same time, that war was a little bit more complex than that. So, uh, just in terms of the the behaviour and what the uh, the Allies did as well. So, that one is a, a much greater concern to me because that one had really kind of um, uh, his, historical revisionism going on in a way that people did actually buy into so anyway that's so no what's your what's your game of the month <laughs> that is not call of duty <laughs> uh moving on um yeah haven haven looks so good <laughs> it's about it's, it's a lot of historical re- revisionism in haven <laughs> it's so jarring to cut from call of duty straight back to haven <laughs> yeah just like just jammy a grenade I might, some dude I, might do a, so I might do a stream with them like back to back and then <laughs> oh, yeah. just see if i keep the audience for call of duty as i start to play haven instead it's like that that'll be pretty funny see if there's a crossover call of duty and haven fans um but let's move on let's have some musics harvard. no harvard what do you want oh, <laughs> harvard oh. said empire of sin that was trent where the same person wait did Alan said... even say anything yeah i did but i got laughed at so, I, you know, it's fine. Alan said worms. I did say worms. <laughs> well, of course, because Alan is choosing out of games that will actually release in December, whereas the rest of us were assuming yes. Cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, no. That, All right, no, Harvard, it's, it's pick fine. a game. Any game. Uh, I'm actually going to be playing Collection of Saga because Yay. I did grow up on the first one of that game, and... It's been an interesting experience to go back and actually look at that with the eyes of someone who knows how games work instead of some kid with a Game Boy who didn't understand English. Uh, I really liked Final Fantasy Adventure for what it was, so I feel like hopefully I have the same experience with the Saga games. You're not going to. I'm not going to? <laughs> no, no. Are they bad? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I love that instantly you're just like, you're going to have bad times. I mean, <laughs> it's going to have bad times. Final, it's Final Fantasy uh, Adventure actually holds up pretty well. Um, and you can play that on the Saga collection if you've got that on the Switch. But these games, they are definitely archaic RPGs, uh, JRPGs. They are definitely games that would not be made today. Um, so, grinding. Yeah, it, it means a lot of grinding. It means the direction, kind of the, the pathfinding through the game isn't very clear, to be honest, um, especially the first one. You're going to get all kinds of lost. Um and you do need a certain level of, of patience with them to enjoy them. I, oh, I yeah. think they're good um, for what they are, but then I'm the guy that still plays Final Fantasy 1 on the NES, so... Oh, true. They How definitely... would you rate it to Fantasy Star 2? Uh, it's not hard. They're not hard games as such, but the random counter rate is through the roof. Um, you do need to manage inventory because... It has that Fire Emblem system where um, attacks, when you use attacks, your your weapons break down slowly. And then it's got this really weird uh, system for a bunch of different kind of character types where after enemies die, they drop meat and you can eat the meat and you eat the meat, you turn into various monsters and stuff, um, which is pretty neat, except you have a, it's difficult to know what monster you're going to turn into and half the time you turn into a monster that's much worse than 
the monster you just were. So uh, it, it's just very archaic. That and sounds hilarious. I am in. It doesn't you explain said the word itself very well. And neat so many times just then that my brain like <laughs> shattered, and I can't explain to you why. It's because it you're looking forward to the game hard to beat. Ah! <laughs> well, not to uh, section. All right, not to jump to ahead to our final topic too quickly, but earlier when you were talking about how there's been no changes to these games, I was a little bit thrilled to be honest because I know that Square's done a very recent good remake type of game, but I gotta say a lot of their pseudo remake remasters have been. <laughs> Less than anything I'd ever want Final to play. Final Fantasy VI. Do you want to like, play the worst-looking version of a game that looked great twenty years ago? Yeah, yeah. So let's just appreciate that. At least you know these might look like just exactly Game Boy games, but at least they look like exactly Game Boy games. Yeah, I mean, I, I we'll, we will talk about this in the last yeah. section, but it, it's a difficult one. I like remakes that are full remakes, like that. Tri- uh, trails, trials. Trails of Man. Yeah, that remake is just a masterpiece of its own in its own right, and it's a full remake. But then I also really enjoyed playing the original through uh, on the collection of Mana as well. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting question, but I, I, I can see, I, you know, I guess it depends on how well it's done. But remakes can be good, but originals as well can be good. Perhaps the yeah. best way to go would be if they just include both on the disc. That would be nice. That'd be yeah. great. Anyway, well, we're gonna, we'll talk about that in the next, last section. Music time. Oh, we've lost somebody. Somebody went quiet. People keep going quiet on us today. Um, Pick a song, Trent. I'm pretty sure Trent's microphone is going to be reliable. Trent, pick a song. Yes. Uh, Here we go. What do I want to pick? Um, We could go for something from that Tetris game. Everyone was like really excited about something, which I was like, oh, Mean Bean Machine. (laughs) There we go. Mean Bean Machine. Alan's favourite music song ever. There you go, Alan.
and welcome back. So, if you were one of the three people who wasn't a scalper and got a PS5, congratulations, first of all, you've done a amazing job. Um, I can guarantee you're probably playing Demon Souls at this point in time as well, because that is currently the only game on PS5 that really justifies owning a PS5. Um, well, it's it is... the only ones that exclusive, right? Or is it? No, Bugs. Oh, there's also a- Astros. And also Godfall. You know Godfall. <laughs> no, nobody knows Godfall, Alan. No. <laughs> I, God- I saw an ad for that and I, I laughed. <laughs> I had to laugh at Godfall because A, I didn't even know that game existed. And then B, I thought it was Lords of the Fallen 2. <laughs> I was like, that's, yeah, that's like kind of the most damning thing I could say about it. But anyway, um, yeah, Demon Souls came out. It's phenomenal. It's extremely good. I have never played Demon's Souls 1, um, but this makes it feel like a game that is palatable in 2020 rather than 2009, I believe, the Demon's Souls was released in. It's, 11 year old, uh, it's an 11-year-old game, so it's, you know, not, not a spring chook anymore, if you know what I'm saying. Um, well, I mean, it was dead um, because yeah. the servers have been turned off a long time ago, so yeah. there was no way to play it the way that it was kind of designed with all the ghosties running around and stuff. So... Um, yeah. yeah, it's the, really the weird. Good. <laughs> the the weird thing about Demon Souls, which I find kind of amusing, is that it's this big launch title that really shows off the PlayStation Five in so many ways, and it does a, it, it. You know, it looks great, um, and it oh, has the frame rate thing. Apparently, it has a frame. Rate. <laughs> it has a frame rate thing, and and it's all good. But the weird thing is they've also preserved a lot of the jankiness of the original Demon Souls uh, in terms of the AI, in terms of the level design, because Demon Souls was kind of a proof of concept as such. It was the first game in the Souls series, and and um, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff that they refined out for Dark Souls. Uh, this is from Software. So I was really concerned going into the PlayStation Five that the developer was going to fix it. And I didn't want it to be fixed uh, as such. I, I wanted it to look the part, that's fine, uh, as long as it kept the atmosphere, which they've done a great job of doing. And uh, you know, fixing the frame rates and stuff is a, is a no-brainer. But I did want them to preserve the kind of creative side of things, and I was concerned that they weren't going to do that. Thankfully, when I started to play, um, it's there it, and all. It's janky it glory. It feels like it's been made by Miyazaki still. It feels. It also feels like it was made before D- uh, Dark Souls. So it, yeah, it's a bit like chunky and weird sometimes. It is. It really is. Like the level design, especially, is odd in some places and nastily odd. <laughs> we, there are some spots that you're definitely going to get stuck. It's our least favorite place. Can we just go around the circle? Because uh, there is a place that I just despise more than anything else in any video game. Um, it's, it's got to be that swampy poison it's, area it's that you fall down. <laughs> The fuck swamp. Yeah. It is one of the worst locations in any video game ever. Absolutely hell. It is, like, you walk through it and you go to the jellyfish land. You know, jellyfish land in Swampton? It's the worst place I've ever seen in my life. It's full of jellies, and they they spin at you. They spin at you menacingly. And if you try and roll, they they give you an animation that takes a second and a half for you to recover from, and you can't do anything. Stupid. Bad area. Hate it. Get the game out of my face. But it's good game though. <laughs> it's really good. It's, it's kind of—I don't know. I like that um, about it because you like swamps, the jellyfish. 
Well, no, the swamp area is meant to feel like oppressive and really unpleasant, and it yeah. does. So I quite, I don't know, I liked it. For me, funnily enough, the the bit that I was dreading the most uh, in the replay was the first part because in Demon Souls, until you beat the first boss, you can't level up. You oh, can't. There's no kind of bonfire save spots along the way, and there are some nasty tricks along the way that make it um, a, a challenge. And then the first boss himself is... is um, chuck firebombs. Just yeet is, firebombs. Is not, too, is not too difficult, but at the same time, um, if you make mistakes, given that you're not leveled up at all, you will die, um, especially if you pick the, the wrong character class. Anyway, I remember when I first played Demon Cells, long time ago i was new to the souls games and i got very stuck in that first part it took me an awful long time to get through it so i was a bit worried about it how i i'm obviously better at souls games now so i didn't struggle this time around but yeah that was the that first part where the game is willing to throw you into this difficult challenging rpg without even the opportunity to level up until you've beaten the first boss is something that they would not do in subsequent games so i don't know if this is a hot take but i don't think demon souls is anywhere near as hard as any of the other games in the franchise i you're think flame lurker is very hard you're better at the Alan. no i think flame lurker is the hardest the game gets and i, no, I think honestly i think time. i think you're better at them um i think demon souls is definitely well, I've only ever played Dark Souls 2. I beat Dark Souls 3, including the, the dickhead boss, the, the big lord. Um, and then I beat Bloodborne. And yeah, but Bloodborne, especially because it's faster and stuff, um, it's taught you about timings and things that... I guess. I mean, I, 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 just, I know for a fact... Outside of Tower Knight, Tower Knight was horrible. But I think the <laughs> really? bosses in general are actually much easier. I think the, the environments are harder. Interesting. I guaranteed, dude, it's, it's, it's your experience because um, I found Demon's Souls, the original Demon's Souls, to be an incredibly difficult game. And I found Demon's Souls this time around to be much, much easier. And that is it's just experience. Well. I, I did also grind the shit out of it. I got a Uchi Katana and I just grinded the shit out of it until I had the best one that I could get. So I cowarded my way through the game as hard as I could. I still haven't finished it. I'm on the second to last boss fight, and I got my soul sucked. I didn't like it. It was very upsetting. There's a move in that game that almost made me turn off the game entirely, and it removes a soul level if you get hit by it, and it's also a one-hit kill. It's very not fun. So do not get hit by that attack. Avoid the blue orb. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like the, the boss encounters in general are easier because there's a lot more puzzly ones. Um, a lot of them seem like they have a correct way to solve it. Whereas in, you know, Bloodborne, it's more just like you need to be better at dodging stuff. You need to be better at dealing with it. And I I don't want to spoil many fights because obviously the game is just, like, literally just out. But the penetrator fight felt very similar to lady maria in bloodborne which yeah, I that's really what i'm saying liked. it's kind of your experiences talking i i guarantee I mean, you if, I, if demons if demon souls was your first souls game you would, oh, it it would have demon. absolutely fucked me beyond belief yeah. yes yeah you would the swamp itself would have been 17 hours of my life i think that above all demon souls has the biggest variance in difficulty based on kind of like which class you start out with and how you want to play the game it's it's it is. It's the true RPG of the series. Yeah. 
it's also it's it's also one that it, it just likes to be cruel in a way that other Souls games don't. Like oh, if, it's stupid. If the you play, if you in the mine, if you, you play, if you, you play mean. badly, for example, um, the the world tendency system is just it, it's beautifully cruel in the way that if you play badly, the game gets harder. <laughs> and I I really like that. You know, if you if you're struggling. It makes it so it's even more difficult for you, and that is that is an element again they would never do again. And I was worried; I was genuinely worried going into the PlayStation Five that they were going to remove that world tendency uh, system because it was that. nasty. It was it was a nasty gameplay element, but no, they kept it. So full props to the developer, and again, I guess we'll talk about this in the last section. But full props to the developer of it for sticking to the creative vision of the thing, because it, it, is, it is quite full on. It is. Okay, it doesn't respect you at all, which is great. Yeah, I would describe this as the ultimate remaster and not actually a remake. If I was actually to put it out there because to me a remake is a lot of things can can be reimagined and they are often reimagined your final fantasy 7 being a recent incredible example but here it really does feel like this is running demon souls under the hood with yeah. the prettiest coat of paint you've ever seen yeah yeah that's it's it, it gorgeous. it's definitely and again we'll talk about that in the last section because yeah i don't want to make this whole podcast about remakes but yes i, I totally agree it, it is a more it's a remaster rather than a, a pure remake but uh, playstation playstation 5 um big console it's it's a physically large console it is very large <laughs> on my desk it See, is i'm concerned than because... I it's actually taller than my monitor <laughs> yeah because my xbox it fits like it's almost like so it's like a shelf like a like a shelf like a what do you call it? It shelf? is the shelf. <laughs> um, a, a, cap, a cabbage. Um, a, it's it's the drawer, the, the door. Uh, well, I can't speak words. Um, it, it's where you put books and things. Linen closet. It's in a linen closet. There we go. Yeah, I can work. is the Series X? What the hell, Trent? And and so it's it's oh, in Lord. a linen closet. <laughs> and it's almost like it's only got like five, ten centimeters at that. And it would be like the whole height of the whole like shelf height. Like it, I, my PlayStation wouldn't fit vertically in that. If my I PlayStation had... doesn't fit into my system any no. in any way. No. I've actually got got it sitting on the floor because I just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, it's built a podium, Matt. <laughs> it's it's big and it's ugly. It's a big boy. I like it's how it looks. So actually. ugly. It's a it's a reverse ice cream sandwich. It's horrible. It looks like I love a casino that. they're building in Sydney. <laughs> it does look like a casino they're building in Sydney. You're super right. I saw a picture of that. Someone tweeted that out a while ago. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> okay. So I think it's great because it's Sony being the most, like, flamboyant as they've ever been. Because the PlayStation consoles have traditionally been VCRs, right? They've always yeah. had, like, a VCR of some description. This looks like a fucking Space Wizard console. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they just don't care. It's really good. No, it, for me, it, for well. me, it looks like the kind of thing that a kind of tech bro Silicon Valley dude would come up with as a cool design, rather than actually yeah, being a right. cool design. <laughs> I like uh, how the story is that that they, they the artist originally designed it bigger, and then the tech guys were like, "No, no, 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 it has to be smaller." <laughs> it has to like have a, a swirl in it. <laughs> I, I think it's too. 
it is too large for how big games consoles should be, but it's not by a huge margin. It's it's just like it's on the too large side, kind of like the original original Xbox, which I know no none of you know which Xbox I'm referring to now based on the naming convention. But uh, (laughs) that thing was also too. It was a very big thing. Yeah. Four games, no X. Um, but, but I don't mind how it looks because it, it actually looks like a games console. And, and I, you know what? I'm going to put it out there. I hate the look of these VCR boxes. And I really dislike the way that the Xbox Series X looks like a, just a monolith thing. Like, no, it's a fridge. It's just I a mean, fridge. The thing I, the thing I like about it. It needs to look like a GameCube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't so much mind the size of these, this beast. I guess for me it's the aesthetic thing. Like I don't know the. the oh, it's absolutely a gamer console. The it, two tone thing just annoys gamer-y. me. Like if I could have bought a single tone PlayStation Four Five, then I would have. the The white black thing is just so fashionable a long time ago. It, it dates really quickly. It's like um, it's like the 3DS. Like that was like a really cool design when it first came out. But it two tone stuff dates really really quickly, and that's going to happen with the PlayStation design. So in some ways, yes, the Xbox is a giant black monolith, but a VCR design or whatever, they don't date like as quickly as you know two tone stuff or more expressive art piece like designs. I will say that at least with the PlayStation 5, the white is kind of the, the on the outside, so I can put stickers on it. Like I can put all yeah. my anime stickers on it, and there'll be an anime my console then. Fucking God. <laughs> and then I'll send no, it to okay. Alan as a Christmas present, and we'll swap, we'll swap PlayStation 5s, Alan. I'll yeah. take your one. You'll take Post my me anime some one. So I can throw them in the trash and send you the video. <laughs> well, I, think um, that, I think that's cool. I really that's why people do that with their like laptops and things, and these are fully replaceable blades on the outside, so go for it. There's That's a brand also of there's sells a, them. actually in all seriousness. There's a brand of stickers I highly recommend. It's uh, what's it called? B side. It's like this Japanese. I think it's a Japanese brand of stickers, and um, they're great. They're really expensive. They're like ten bucks a sticker, but Jesus. yeah, they're expensive stickers. But they're designed for use on laptops and whatever. You know, they're they're designed to stick and stay on whatever you put them on, and they're really cool designs. Like really, really funky. Go and check them out. They're B side. I think it's called good there stickers. I'm going to find some um, anime anime girlies and stick them on my PlayStation 5. It's better be Miku. Yeah, well, Miku would be the big one. Like, she'll be the... I mean, you can almost get a life-size Miku on this PlayStation 5. Yeah. <laughs> can we talk about the best part scale. of PS5? <laughs> can I'm we talk me. about anything but the anime girls? <laughs> okay, Alan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, like, steer the conversation back on track. Uh, the controller. The oh, it's controller. a good controller. It's- phenomenal it is so good it feels both better than the ps4 controller and instantly recognizable it is it is phenomenally good it It is is the first thing i know it is heavier which is an issue i think for some people like compared to the playstation 4 i like the feel because i like my controllers to be kind of chunky and and have a good sense of solid to them but i do think that it's probably close to twice as heavy as a PlayStation 4 controller, and that's yeah. going to be an issue for some people uh, from an accessibility point of view. Uh, but I really like uh, the the rumble, whatever they call it, the haptics. Um, I mm. wasn't expecting to enjoy that, but the kind of it's surround really experience, cool. the kind of surround experience that comes with those haptics, and you can actually feel like the movement transition from left to right across the controller or whatever I... in to this kind of a meticulous level of detail is actually something I really liked. Yeah, uh, what I. An- Oh, sorry. 
Sorry, I was just going to say one other thing. What I did not like was the triggers. I do not like those triggers. You don't um, like the adaptive triggers? I no, love them. I think No, because classic. every time I press them down and there's resistance, I feel like there's something wrong with my controller and my brain goes into a spiral and then I press down harder on it. I'm pretty is sure I'm going to break. Is this your frame rate issue? Is this no, your frame rate? Yeah, this is my frame rate issue. I'm pretty sure I'm going to break quite a few of these controllers. This is going to be like a Joy-Con drift for me because I seriously, every time I, Demon Souls, for example, every time I pulled back my bowstring, and I felt the resistance in the, the, the controller, and that's one of the lighter examples of it, I felt like my controller was, there was something wrong with it, and I pressed down harder. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on those things. And the I just know that if I was to play, what's the one called? The... Right. the the Bethesda one that they're creating, um, the the shooter, oh, the, the black black exploitation one, um, Death Loop. Death Loop. Apparently, <laughs> Death Loop has a feature where it will actually the the trigger will lock if you've um, if your gun has like um, has failed or something. So, not that I probably play that, but if I was to play that and my controller triggers started to lock, I would probably mash down on them. And <laughs> I just know I'm going to break these things. It just it doesn't feel right to me. But everything else about the controller, I love. Matt's basically humble bragging about how strong his fingers are. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Destroy them in his grip. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the um, the haptics are by far the most impressive aspect, just because of the the way that they do feel surround. Like I think there's a there's a few examples. I'm trying to think of where it was, but I, I remember feeling it at the time where something was happening in a direction, and I you know you move the character and the camera around, and then the rumbly effect is happening on different parts of the controller, and that's new to me because historically the way that you would program rumble, you would tell it like which rumble you want to use, the big motor, the little motor, the, the turn on, the attack decay release, you know, basically you know, using all the same systems you would for a sound effect. Um, and that was the kind of limit of it. But now it seems that there's so much of the physical space that you can use on the controller that you really can treat it like a gameplay element. So you could have... Um, you know, like a sandstorm coming from one direction and based on which way your camera's facing or your character's uh, moving, you can have that pulsating across the controller in different angles and dynamically adjusting as you play the game. And that's totally new to me. Um, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I could, uh, imagine... The imagine point like that a, I recognised... Oh, sorry, you go ahead, Matt. No, I was just going to say, imagine like a horror game, for example, where you, you could actually start to program kind of directional into into the controller so that something you might not be able to see you can actually feel through through the controller I was or something gonna say be... this is perfect for fatal frame yes yeah, it'd be really neat like if, if the ghost the ghost would that. like breathe in your ear or something and you'd actually have there'd be like a, a small rumble um yeah, like the kind of the good. yeah the the whisper of the the breeze in the <laughs> on the side it'd be freaky um it'd be but that'd be so cool. I, I think uh, it kind of works better more as a. Oh, sorry. No, you go. I was thinking. I think it works best as a as a subliminal element that works in the background. So it, it ties into what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and then all three, what you're feeling, are, are happening together to give you that sense of immersion. Um, that it just adds to things in a way that you won't immediately feel like, oh, yeah, I'm so much more immersed because I can feel it in my controller. But you will be. You will be. And that's the important thing. Just like every other little bit of feedback we give you, it's building up on that sense of what the game wants you to be emotionally feeling at a given point in time. I do agree about the 
um, triggers with both of you in that I think they're really impressive and also I'll be turning them off almost all the time. Um, just because from my point of view, I, I have some, some issues with uh, ligaments and, and things with my fingers. Yeah. And the, the triggers in particular uh, can cause a lot of issue there. And I also wanted to call out Sony officially on this podcast. If you're listening out there, Mr. Sony, what you're doing with the DualShock 4 compatibility is wrong. Yeah, that's stupid <laughs> as hell. No, that, you're right. It's, heart, it's stupid hurtful. as hell. Uh, my sister-in-law has very serious issues with, with her hands um, and arthritis issues and other things where it's very painful for her to use most controllers. The DualShock 4 is the only current generation controller that she can use for an extended period of time uh, without pain. And she's tried the, the Dual, DualSense a whole bunch. And she loves the DualSense, but she ends up in pain after like half an hour. Mm. So the fact that you can remote play a PS5 to a PS4 and play it on a DualShock 4 goes to yes. show you there's, there's nothing Baffling. in any of the games. They're, they're not letting you make a mechanic that requires the DualSense. There's nothing, okay? They're nonsense about how we want to have everyone have the DualSense. They can have the feeling, nah, that's bullshit. You let people play on the, the DualShock 4, just let them use it. I think there's also, there's also a, like, uh, that one's the main one for me, but also there's a commercial interest in there, and I just wonder whether Sony's been a bit nasty on that because um, I would imagine that there'd be patent and technology in that controller. <laughs> I would imagine that Sony would not put that kind of innovation in there without making sure that it's got exclusive rights to a lot of it, which makes me wonder, does that mean that third parties are not going to be able to create controllers and things for the PlayStation 5? I think it's and actually licensed from a company that develops haptics especially, but there probably would it? be patents in relation well, to how it's used specifically inside the, the dual sets. And that, yeah, that, that's kind of my, my concern in the sense that every other console's always had this kind of vibrant range of third-party controllers and things, and that's, uh, that's good for the consumer. It gives them choice, and it's also good for encouraging different ways of playing and stuff. And Sony seems to be <clears throat> doing things to shut people out uh, or shut other third-party companies out of making peripherals for these consoles, which is a little bit nasty, I think, if yeah. my guess is right. Um, um, which is, of course, I, secondary I, I to the human cost, but it, it is still something worth... I don't about. believe that that will play out like that in the, the near term. I think that's mostly a case of how new and kind mm -hmm. of expensive and complicated the technology is. I believe we'll see third parties able to license the same technology as long as they meet the standards of whatever API Sony use for, for how it works so that when you play a game, the Rumble has to offer the same level of functionality. But that's that's my suspect. I don't think I... Like, I can't say for sure that you're right or I, so you're wrong or I'm right, so... Um, I'm going to go back just to talk about the controller itself for a moment. Um, I think the point when I realized it was actually not a like, complete joke because, you know... It was the same thing when the Switch launched and it had the HG rumble and I was a bit like, all right, whatever. Like, it's like you're going to shake it and find how many ice cubes are in this cup. Like, that's not really that useful. Um, there's a boss fight in the Hell Swamp. Um, it is the second boss fight in the Nightmare Hell Swamp. Um, it's the Bee Lord. And I could feel the bees in my controller. <laughs> And that was the point where I was like, there are bees in my controller. I do not like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so that was basically like the coolest thing that I've seen this console actually do. It is very, very odd to feel like there are bees in your controller that are trying to sting you. 
I don't think that's, that's something that I want to <laughs> feel ever again. But it is really, really cool. I, I genuinely think, as far as launch shuttles go, Demon Souls is probably the best one that I've ever seen. Uh, does was Bloodborne a was Bloodborne a launch title? No, 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 not no. even close. No, no. Uh, it's Breath of the Wild. It's Resistance, Fall of Man, <laughs> and uh, Reso Gun, basically, uh, and Soul Calibur One on Dreamcast. Mario sixty four was a launch title. What's going on here? What's, what's happening? Bad game. No, we don't need to talk about Mario. No, this is one of the <laughs> oh, yeah, I, we cannot talk about it. I I got so mad playing that game, and I, I can't explain to you how like oh how wrong you I are. tried I so hard. I, I tried know. so hard, and I I wanted to be good at that game. I got to the the Sandland. I forget what it's called. The one with the giant pyramid. And I got yeeted by a face that rolls. And I fell down and lost about like half an hour's worth of progress. And I was like, oh, that's oh, the end of my experience. You, you just need to get good. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Music. Harvard, you can pick. You. Sorry, you were very quiet then, but you didn't have a PlayStation 5. So you yeah. just yeah. left out for 20 minutes. Such shit, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you don't know the pain of the bees in your from... controller. <laughs>
Uh, here's the segment where I don't know what to say. Uh, Matt wrote in the Discord, not Discord, in the Slack that we are going to talk about real fan service, i.e. not anime girls and bikinis, but games made for fans of the property. Yep. That's that's the thing. I'm so I, sorry, have, I do have to do these sections every so often, Alan, just to, to keep it quiet. Just, <laughs> just to make it <laughs> Just to, just to make it quiet for a little bit so other people... All right, can... the mic is on mute. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but fan service, um, I guess this... What inspired this conversation or topic is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, because, I mean, when we talk about fan service, we always talk... Not always, but usually when we reference fan service it's with regards to anime girls and bikinis and stuff like that but fan service doesn't actually mean that fan service is a bit broader than that topic and i think a a little bit of that is lost um but i think assassin's creed valhalla being a kind of a historical fiction thing and fan service for people who are interested in history is a pretty good game to talk about. I don't know if anybody else has actually played it. Probably not, Alan. I know you probably haven't. Um, no, this I have zero interest in Assassin's Creed anymore just because it still has that stupid future shit that just is insufferably stupid. It's yeah, that's, that's getting less and less, thank goodness. I think Ubisoft yeah, is just going through the motions with it. I like the future bits. Anyway, I'm playing it, but I've got the same... It's got, like, Red um, Dead Redemption 2 issues where it's, like, slow and boring and just really, really taking a long time to get to the good bits. But it's good history, right? (laughs) It's it's really good history. Um, When I, I was very much not interested in playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla because when video game companies and developers and creatives do vikings they generally do one particular type of viking which is bad viking event service it's always you know bearded dudes half naked running around screeching at one another um but this one what i really liked about it was that the developers clearly did their research with it they clearly wanted to make sure that what they were depicting was not the kind of the the assumed tropes i guess of when video game companies do vikings but it was more uh an effort to reflect the kind of the the culture and the people of that time in a more authentic sense so i found that really good i thought that assassin's creed was losing that a little bit um with the last couple of titles and it was really more just a gut reaction, I think. But for me, especially the the Greek one, which one was that? Odyssey? Origins? Yeah. Odyssey. Odyssey. Odyssey felt very much like um, it was playing too heavy into the the the, um, the pop culture understanding, I guess, of Greek. Uh, yeah, they, they went very hard on the mythological elements of, like, isn't it cool to have this and this and this and yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a little bit of that in Valhalla, but not to the same extent, and it's integrated in a more authentic way, and it's not just bearded dudes running around half-naked screeching at one another. Which that is... said, though, is that because um, Norse mythology is less, I guess, popular? Like, in pop culture, everyone's like, oh, you know, Zeus and Thor and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, is... 
I, know, I, I think See, that Norse stuff has taken off a lot in recent years. There's a bunch hmm. of TV shows related to it now. Yeah, like, Vikings is huge. There, there's, Vikings a t- is huge there's two yeah. or three other TV shows as well. It's not just Vikings. There's some like Lost Kingdom or something. And... I, I think that I think the mythology is pretty well known. Like the serpent um, that you know circles around the world. The I mean, God of the, War repopularized a lot of it too. Yeah, God of War right. has. Well, God of War is the kind of the one that I was pointing. I I was thinking that would. I don't think God of War is a particularly good job (laughs) of reflecting um, Viking. I know he's meant to be like, well, he is Greek from from in his origins, but the way he was presented in the God of War game was exactly the wrong way of doing depicting, I guess, um, Viking culture and storytelling but yeah i i think that that's on purpose for still not to get on too much of a tangent but for god of war i just actually recently played it through for the first time and um i believe that they they lean away from history away from vikings and away from that entire culture on purpose to push into the mythology and the absurdity because that's the the core of what makes god of war the god part of it so Oh, for I sure. I definitely think that. And they did exactly the same thing with the kind of the Greek stuff when it was yeah. God of War in, set in, in Greece. So I I don't hold that against them, I guess. But the point is, for me, is more that we have this idea in our head about what Vikings were and what they did. And that doesn't marry up with the history, especially mm-hmm. these days, the more research that goes into it. You know, even things like the, the rape and pillage, which is, you know, that whole that phrase comes from people's fears back then about what Vikings were going to do when they showed up. But that is uh, that that itself has been very questioned. And yes, the Vikings did do their raids and they did take stuff, especially from the people of England of the time. But at the same time, they had um, peaceful trading relationships with the the Arab um, people because you know, they, they were quite. You know, they they ventured quite far and they had uh, peaceful settlements and they they. The Vikings were, I, I think they're one of the more misunderstood cultures, I think, is the point. And I was really surprised that Assassin's Creed Valhalla did the right things to correct that, if that makes sense. Um, so would you say that they've, they've correctly kind of leaned back into that fan service element that the people thought was coming when, when Origins made a big shift, right? And they had the um, historical modes and the bigger focus on trying to be these large uh, chunks of history that people could learn from. Would you say that they've, they've kind of leaned back around to that from dipping away a bit in Odyssey? For me, it was probably the most, in, in terms of the way that they depicted history, it was probably the most interesting and engaging in itself that I've had since the um, Assassin's Creed 3, funnily enough. And for me, Assassin's Creed 3 was really engaging because I didn't know much about American history, especially revolutionary, uh, the, the American Revolution. I knew very, very little about it. The revolution itself being one of the most biggest fuck shows I've ever seen in history. Yeah, it's but... It's just disastrously awful. We didn't learn much about, we didn't learn much about it at all in um, school. No, because Australia school. doesn't know anything, and they don't even teach you your own history, because if uh, they teach you your own history, it's seen as political for some fucking stupid well, reason. That's as a rule, but uh, to, to get to the point, I guess, um, <laughs> I, I, I got really engaged with Assassin's Creed 3 because there were names that were popping up that I vaguely recognised, um, like Sam Adams pops up, the Tea Party is mentioned, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, I know a little bit about this. This game's depicting this. Let's go and kind of learn a little bit about it um, and see just how well Ubisoft has done in 
researching this stuff up and how authentic it is to the history. And I, I got really into it, and now I know an awful lot more about the uh, <laughs> the revolution revolutionary era of uh, America than I thought I would ever have learned otherwise. And I think Valhalla... The thing for me, Matt, is that, like, just to stop you there for a moment, the, the thing for that is that these games are really good as an intro and a very, very good introductory point to a for greater sure. historical context. I think that if you stop only at the games, like a lot of people tend to do, it is damaging to the point where you just... It's very clear they have set historical objectives in these games to identify some people as, like, heroes... And you, you know, if you do any modicum of research, you realize, oh, they're not that good. Oh, they're pretty bad. Oh, they've done some pretty bad things. It's like, it's the exact same issue I have with other historical pop culture things like Hamilton. It's the exact same issue I have with that. Yeah, it just I mean, doesn't. I'm, I'm not suggesting. It, it makes that. me a little bit uneasy a lot of the time because there is clear attempts to make it more palatable to a modern audience rather than actually depicting it as it is. And I think that the whole way that they present it as, you know, this is a fiction, obviously, but it's based hugely in, you know, history. No, that's not the case. These are fictionalized. They are, they are, um, like Homer characters, essentially. They are well, the thing is, into myths of themselves. The and I think that's limiting in its own right and also quite scary in terms of controlling, you know, this narrative of, you know, what history actually should be and who gets to tell that story. So yeah, okay, I, so I there's just... an awful lot to unpack there, but f to the point, yes, I, I do agree that these things, these games are not in themselves history textbooks. Uh, like I said, I didn't know much about the revolutionary uh, era of America, and I still don't know enough to to form strong you know, conversations around uh, Assassin's Creed and how it does it, but I do know an awful lot about the French Revolution uh, and Unity when how I was... played Unity. Um, yeah, how was Unity? I mean, and I'm getting to that. Unity was fine um, in the sense that they clearly did their research. They didn't just turn these people into... Or they, they didn't just turn... How can I put this? Um, they did their research, I think is probably the best way to, to put it. It wasn't just that they pulled up a Wikipedia page and built their game around that as other games have done uh, and it wasn't a deliberate effort to it's not even a subtle dig at ghost of tsushima it's not even subtle <laughs> it's, just, it's the just... most dig i've ever heard in my life <laughs> i was and, the, and then it's not like it's also it's not like they've gone and done a deliberate effort to rewrite history to take a subtle dig at another game that we've already talked about in this podcast um but they're not history textbooks the point being, I guess, and what I find engaging about the some of these Assassin's Creed games better than others is that they do encourage me to want to go and learn stuff. And I rem when I was playing Vikings, again, not um, not a part of the world that I am super super familiar with. I end up spending hours reading up about uh, King Harold, the first king of Norway, because he was name dropped in the game. He hell. was. He was he's kind of depicted at the start of his journey to become the first king of Norway, and he was an interesting character, and he's an interesting historical character. So these games, for me, what makes them really great when they are great and something that I felt had been lost a little bit on Odyssey and Origin is that when they are at their best, they do encourage you to want to go and learn stuff, um, which Vikings... A, that is a it net brought topic. Assassin's Creed back for me um, in, in a lot of ways. 
I think anything that encourages people to like do more reading and do more learning is a net <laughs> to learn. Yeah, yeah, those things are. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just interesting. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh. Oh, I, I'll talk then. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, I was just going to say I find it interesting how compelling these aspects of Assassin's Creed are because to me, uh, you know, you talked about fan service and the lens of this is serving people who who've grown an interest in this kind of content um and uh i think that's pretty much the only value they have to me now as games this is the only reason i would ever touch an assassin's creed game because like i'm interested in the time period it's covering the characters the world the the lore all of those elements i've just basically become done with every other aspect of of the series and with uh, like yeah I'm, not to be mean but ubisoft's games in general <laughs> yes yeah, you're no, totally, that's totally very, right yeah. you are totally right yeah i mean the re i'm not even slightly interested in watchdogs for example which is another ubisoft oh the open world game um for me it is only that in fact i'm not a, that interested in open world games at all i haven't haven't played red dead redemption 2 haven't really got any interest in that really alan really good though it's like one of my favorite stories in games it's like five hours <laughs> it's also it's also an open world i'm just not interested in open world games as a rule the only thing that keeps me interested in the assassin's creed games are they're basically the dynasty warriors of triple a blockbusters um because they have that history element which is for me what i'm interested in um and they do do a pretty good job of finding spots that i don't know that much about i mean my favorite uh, assassin's creed is, is liberation. liberation yep liberation yeah, and i knew nothing whatsoever like literally zero about uh france occupied america um which is what they came to so and it was fascinating. It was actually the least story-driven of all the Assassin's Creed games, but I learned a lot directly as a result of that game, in inspiring me and interesting me in you know what New Orleans was like back in those days. The entire idea of having a character who has to live between worlds is just so much more interesting than a big man who stabs. I'm sick of big man who stabs. I want to have other characters. <laughs> I want to have a man who isn't just like. Well, now you I can have, have now you can have man or like, woman that stabs because. Or both. Or both. Yeah, you yeah. can actually. You can be a fluid. You can be fluid in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. You can swap between man and woman. Also, sorry to bring this back to COD, but I think it's really funny that people are getting like pissy about <laughs> that you can be non-binary in COD Cold War, but they're not pissed about the fact that you can commit horrible, horrible war crimes. It's really good. No, I like know. I like how I like how <laughs> Cold War became like an SJW game because yeah, it's it the be... most left-wing game you've ever seen. A game where you do the actions as suggested by Ronald Reagan, a known <laughs> left-winger. <laughs> I'm good, dude. It owns. God, I love gaming. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very strange combination of things to have ended up at that point. In oh, it's, it's so good. I love it. Honestly, like representation is great. I think that there are more problems with Call of Duty than representation. Well, I, just, I just wonder if it wasn't thrown in there cynically. That's the thing. No, oh, it was absolutely thrown in there to make money. It was thrown uh, in there to get... Points. I mean, everything they do is done to make money, but I mean, 
I, I, I'm actually subscribed to the idea that you can't assume people will be good or do good things for the right reasons, and we should encourage people to do good things for selfish reasons. Um, that's one of my worldviews, and I mean, I'm okay yeah, with Call of Duty adding something that is a net good for people and for the world, and for the fact that you know, the more normalized this stuff becomes, the easier it is to keep pushing it into bigger and bigger aspects. Yeah. Even though there's other problems in Call of Duty, I'm, I'm yeah, very... I mean, of all of the the one thing, the one positive that I could take from Call of Duty, and literally the one positive was that it had the non-binary option, which is uh, <laughs> which is which is great. I mean, I think that it's absolutely great that it's in there. It should be in there. It should be in every game, and that's a good thing. But plus, you know, it would have pissed off a lot of the type of people that uh, potentially Call of Duty very much appeals to. So that's a bonus. I mean, like, that makes me want to buy the game even more, is knowing that some dude out there was... Oh, no, it wasn't some dude. It was an awful lot of dudes. You can check Twitter, Alan. <laughs> there was a lot of dudes that got very upset about yeah. this, which is funny. Fun. It is objectively funny. I just want to, like, funny. get to go outside and enjoy life. I don't want to rage about someone having the option to play as a different character. That's... I, I just have better things to do. These people need to grow up, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> let people play games how they want to play let people be who they fucking want to be i don't give a shit anyway uh, shall we end the section there i yeah. i, I want to briefly talk oh, yes. briefly briefly on fan service oh, yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. i believe there's a, there's a couple more examples of this that are really interesting but i mm. do think that this trend with the historical stuff and fan service and appealing to people who might otherwise not even care for this type of game uh probably started for me with um with the Total War franchise. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, Total that's War and Civ. Yeah, Total War, Civilization as well. I mean, I grew up on Civilization. I played it for, for the gameplay of Civ largely. There's an aspect to it where it appeals to you from the historical side, but because you're making your own, a lot of the time it does feel like it, it leans heavily on its own. Oh, no. For, it, it was a big-time educational thing for me as well, um, Civilization. Civilization, the little videos of Civ 2, I don't know if you were playing Civ back then, but I when, was a fetus. Not, not you, Alan. <laughs> I know you were because you're a young boy. Um, but no, uh, Civilization Two had little videos that you unlocked when you completed mm. to build uh, the the world wonders, and those little videos did a really good job of inspiring inspiring me to learn about you know hanging gardens. And... Uh, just the descriptions of them too, right? When yeah. you're choosing which thing to research, and it would say you could unlock the hanging gardens of Babylon mm. and. Then you would read about like what they were, and then exactly. why that would give you a specific bonus in the game that you would relate to a mechanic, and like that was really fascinating. This idea, uh, as a kid, there was definitely that element um, for because I played it, it as a child as well, where you're like, oh, okay, as a society, we benefit from building these great these works that are greater than ourselves and sharing mm. in like the glory of them and understanding that by coming together and achieving something of significance, you know, you can improve your civilization, your society. Which was really neat. It's still, and, and that series still it gets me because um, the you know how they're doing the every two months they're dropping a new civilization and uh, stuff into Civ Six. So a couple of months ago they dropped um, Grand Colombia and Simon Bolivia, which I again did not know much about because we learned nothing about <laughs> we didn't learn nothing about South American history in Australia um, mm. whatsoever at school. And as a result, I've gone and bought a whole bunch of books about this guy. Uh, I've actually read, you know, two now and counting, and it's fascinating. So yeah, Civ Civ Civilization has always been inspiring to me as history fan service, and I think that's a great example. 
Total War, uh, Total War has always kind of played in areas that I've already been familiar with, like, for example, you know, Three Kingdoms. Mm. China is the recent one. I already know plenty about that. Um, a lot Sh- of people wouldn't Shogun. know anything about that. Low, one, a lot right? of people don't, for sure, for sure. Um, but it hasn't had that same impact on me. I love it because I already love those periods of history. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, whether it's Rome or whatever, um, Shogun, I, I really enjoy them for that reason. But and yeah, that is fan service in its own sense. It is it? for because sure. You are, you're, you're a fan of those periods. And so they're providing you with just like more and more and more for you to immerse yourself in that, that area that you already love. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely agree. I think that they're amazing for that as well. And I think that those ones are particularly, I guess, engaging because they let you have that kind of, um, trooper level view of the action as well so you can when you control the individual battles or whatever you can really get you know kind of immersed in what's going on in general i've found it interesting how the games industry has come and gone from from focusing on this particular type of fan service that you're talking about the other big ones for me across my era in gaming was when um the need for speed games they started out as need for speed road and track the very first one, and it was partnered with um, the Road and Track magazine that was all about gearheads and carheads, right? Trying to say, this is a, a fan service game for fans of cars. If you're fans of cars, come and play this game. Yeah, there's a racing game underneath, but we also have like this section where you can look at the specs for the cars and have a readout about how great they are and like, you know, really, really get a, a little bit of a, a an obsession going over that and that to me even if someone who didn't care about cars would help help to get me into it and other people who were into cars could then immerse themselves in it and enjoy it but i mean all the all the sports games are effectively you know all licensed sports games are effectively fan service because you can play as your you know favorite footballer yeah. or yeah. cricketer or tennis player or handballer do not play handball 21 yeah i don't know why you bought that why do you buy <laughs> that every if you, year You're... even if you absolutely love handball do not play handball 21 they've actually managed to take a zero out of five game and take it backwards somehow i am so aggressively annoyed at handball expect? 21 what did you actually expect i expected them to get better over time you're asking off a, too much off, off a zero base <laughs> You wouldn't think you could go into negatives, but somehow, somehow they have. So yeah, as a fan please, of handball, this is bad fan service. Can you please give it your first negative review? <laughs> can you do that? Break, me, I'll break I'll break Metacritic because they've probably done yeah, that. Yeah, like, like, oh, yeah, it's just like a negative seven and a half out of ten. It was like enough for me to throw up four times in a row. It's pretty big. <laughs> but I have appreciated these series that, that are trying to both serve the fans, like, be fan service the way that Assassin's Creed, that Civilization's being fan service, while also using that as an opportunity to create evangelists to bring other people in and teach them about why these fandoms, what these people are fandoms of, um, why these areas are exciting and interesting. You know, like I would never have cared about cars at all without the original Need for Speed, and as it is, I don't really care about cars, but care about them a little bit because of that game and it's i would never more have cared... than you would have yeah exactly and i would never have cared so much about some of the things that that have happened in ancient history were it not for civilization and you know you you grow and you become part of these fandoms then and then you consume more of the games that are fan service for that which ultimately that's what these these game developers kind of want you to be right buying their games um yeah you know, well that everything that comes back to the the whole Dawn of War series basically got me into Warhammer when I was like twelve because Dawn of War was amazing 
and it was the best strategy game to play at the time like if you had a computer that could run it you had dawn of war and even now um with vermintide i had a, i had a slight little like titch in the back of my head while playing vermintide like oh i could i could start painting ninjas again i could start yeah. doing that <laughs> I, could, I could i could get into crack cocaine i could do that that's I like know. It's it's the same thing, and even with Mechanicus as well, the exact same thing happened to me there. Like, there is, those games are very very good at making me interested in an environment that I know is a bigger media property. And honestly, with that, we're gonna have to move on to our next section because I know that last section is gonna be a big one. So, all right, we're gonna we're gonna play some music. I'm gonna play some music from Mechanicus. Okay, so we do have a guest on the podcast. We've done an awful lot of talking. <laughs> um, but now we're going to do the interviewing because you've worked on a lot of remakes. And we were talking earlier in the podcast about remakes and remasters and stuff. Um, what were some of the remakes? It, the Castle of Illusion, Mickey, Mickey Mouse? Yeah, so... Uh, that was I, the Sega Australia one, was it? Yeah, I worked at Sega Australia for, for over five years. Um and while I was there, we did a bunch of work on remakes, about six or seven of which, uh, several of which actually got to full gameplay versions, never existed or got released. Um, very recently, Sega did decide to release one of the prototypes oh, of those. I know that was yeah. a sore point for you, so we'll, we'll, um, we'll avoid talking so about that scumbag. one. <laughs> yeah, I got we'll, missed at that. We'll, that we'll avoid it. talking about that one because that's that. a bit nasty on you. But tell us, um, Mickey Mouse, for example. I mean, I, I guess the burning question I have is when you are working on another person's game, another mm -hmm. creative team's game, what goes through your mind in terms of how you can go about doing what you need to do to make it a remake, a remaster? However, you, you, making the changes you need to make while still kind of respecting the the original work's vision so i guess the first thing is to really define in your own head whether or not you believe this to be a remake or a remaster because a remake mm -hmm. is you making a game 
based on a game. And a remaster is you taking that game and trying to make it as amazing as it could have been if they made that exact same game exactly as it is, but today. And that, that's a, a key point of difference for me when, when people talk about remakes and remasters. Um, so in this case, it was a remake when we, when we did the, the Castle of Illusion system. The pitch was always a remake. It was never um, a remaster. And so initially I was thinking about like what made the original game compelling for the people who loved it at the time and try to work backwards from there um, and I, I think that's the approach that I tend to always take with games. I'm, I'm very much a student of history. My dad was a history teacher. And, uh, and I've just, like, you know, grown up playing Civilization, which we were just talking about before, and all these different games. And I've always appreciated the fact that, like, uh, people weren't stupid back in the day. We, we have this assumption a lot of the time that, that things were just easier or simpler or stupider back in the past. You know, you go, oh, people liked that game because that was all they had. But I actually don't believe that. I think that despite the limitations of the game that they made back in the 90s with Castle of Illusion, the people who made it were probably working as hard or harder than I've ever worked on anything and incredibly intelligent and made a lot of decisions that were very purposeful and made an experience that was quite magnificent. It is beloved across generations for a reason it's more beloved than almost anything i've made will be beloved across generations you know like people will be remembering castle of illusion long after they remembered anything that i made at sega so yeah i try, I try very hard to look back at why they made the decisions they did and then why people actually connected with that the way that they did sorry if that doesn't roundabout answer your question as a starting point yeah no that's that's exactly the kind of question i had in mind i guess the the follow-on to that is this is probably more to do with, I guess, remasters than remakes. But, and we we're talking about this a little bit with regards to Demon Souls earlier. Do you think it's important to maintain the stuff that is not good, <laughs> um, but gives the game some kind of character? Is do you think that's important element to keep? Like the, I mean, if you're if you're remastering something, the jank is part of the experience, and there will be people who loved it. And I don't think that if it's not obviously a game-breaking bug, it's your responsibility to capture the soul of that experience, including the jank. And because jank yeah. is different to different people. Mm. I mean, you, you're obviously aware of the fact that the coin glitch is still in Demon Souls. Yeah. Like the I've, exact I've same coin glitch is still yeah. there. You can use it again, and you can get infinite luck. And okay. it's still in the game, even though it's a remake. The best remasters are quite often the ones where they intentionally recreate beloved bugs and things like that because they're uh, that, that shows one that they um, are aware of what the original game was and two that they're aware of what the community that supported those games that loves those games deemed important um, and that that's really crucial to show that you're not just looking at it through your own lens because a remaster these properties are old um, you're not the original creator the communities that still enjoy them are just as much a part of the process as you who's remaking it, in my opinion. It is, it's basically a communal effort to begin with. Like if it was the original developers doing the remaster, sure, they can do whatever they want. But if you're not the original developer, you're basically the same as those people who've been playing it for 20 years and they have as much right to like tell you what was important in that game as you do. And when you are, I guess, remaking um, a game, 
does it do you think it's harder in the sense that you do still need to preserve something that uh, of the original that people love but like you say you've got the creative freedom and liberties to then go out and, and make the changes that you think are also necessary. Do you think it's harder to find that balance than it is when you are just sitting out to, to kind of remaster something? It's definitely harder, but it's also filled with potential. Um, I love remasters. Some of the remasters that are done really well are some of my favorite, uh, favorite things to have played in, in history. Um, like uh, well, the Shadow of the Colossus remaster version, not the remake, was actually quite quite fantastic for me because mm. it cleaned up a lot of the um, technical issues that it's may have happened. You know, but that was that was done very elegantly, and it was still the original experience. In a lot of ways, I prefer the Shadow of the Colossus remaster over the remake. Mm. But with a remake, uh, even though it's harder. Because you have to make a lot of decisions. You, with the remaster, you can you can say that these decisions are made for me, and this is my approach, and this is the way I have to do it. With the remake, you end up having to actually make a lot of creative decisions. Um, but the potential is higher with a remake. And I think you know, if you look at Final Fantasy VII remake, that's just that's just incredible, right? Like that yeah, that thing that thing absolutely blew my mind because they actually not only remade it, they kind of reversed everything. It's like, just they just flipped every expectation you had uh, of what Final Fantasy VII is or was on its head, while still remaining Final Fantasy VII. It's still quite clearly Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, it, it's it's impressive that they had the balls to do that. In all honesty, like one of the most beloved games of all time, and they broke it down completely. Like they, yeah, just... they did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the the power of a remake is that you can you get to make these decisions, and they can end up being a lot worse than a remaster ever could have been. There was a total potential Final Fantasy VII remake to destroy something that I loved. Mm. But instead, what they did was build something new that exists entirely separate to the original game that I can still love, and yet it's still Final Fantasy VII and still freaking amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they actually, the fact that Final Fantasy VII, for me, the, the moment I realized that this game is, uh, this remake is is something quite spectacular, was going into it, I was really concerned that so much of what they would be doing would be to set up the game so that, uh, should I do spoilers? I guess it's an old enough game, the original. So that a certain... A certain, character, a certain character doesn't die in the remake because that would no longer be kind of commercially palatable um I was, I was die everyone <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was genuinely concerned about that the fact that the final fantasy 7 remake got me to a point that if they do do that and she doesn't die then i'm okay with that because that now makes sense within this this new fiction that they've built and the fact that they've used this remake as a way of challenging what the original did i i don't know it, it, it's just amazing that they've managed to get me to the point where I would be comfortable with them doing basically anything that they're doing with that game, uh, with the next one. And that's Whereas where going in, I was concerned that they were just going to kind of ruin it to, to try and make it, you know, modern. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree that they, they pulled off a, a minor miracle there and they went harder than... I think that's the hardest anyone's ever gone in a remake. If I look at it somewhat uh, trying to be objective and just measure the the sheer number of changes, you know, this is all very subjective, but there's some element where you can measure just how 
drastically altered something is from its original creation and be like, this was someone who went, how can we can we do as much as we possibly can? And now I mean, it is it is absolutely classic Nomura though. It's to take a story that's like relatively simple and just make it batshit insane. It's yeah. cl- I love it because it's just Kingdom Hearts. They've just turned they turned Final Fantasy VII into Kingdom Hearts, and I'm here for it. Personally. Well, let's hope it works out a little bit better for them than the the 20 years I was Ooh. waiting on that one. Oh god! Oh god! I, yeah, I, love I don't want to. I don't want to have oh, to. God. I really don't want to have to wait for the like the PlayStation Six or Seven for the next um, Final Fantasy Final Seven, seven chapter. Are you saying you'll be playing uh, the Final Fantasy Seven spin-off game on the PSP Seven that you have <laughs> yeah. to play because it takes no, place for the, the critical, third game for the critical and the plot game? Point. Yeah, but no, it introduces no, a character who will then be in the sequel that's on the. Ah! <laughs> But no, they, it's you know, they're still the doing same that. character, but it's also half of it's. It's not Cloud. It's half of Cloud, but it's also <laughs> not Zach. It's someone else. Like, you I don't understand. Very important that you know the difference that. between like, Cloud, Zach, and Clack. Because uh, they, they're actually still doing that because with the Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> because that melody, brilliant. that melody of memory game. Um, they have learnt nothing. Uh, they're I'm as critical. And I love it. They're, so they're a critical. Right <laughs> there are critical plot points for the next, you know, for the future of Kingdom Hearts in this stupid rhythm game. So you have to play the rhythm game if you want to continue the plot of uh, Kingdom Hearts. That's... Why? <laughs> now, can I ask Why? you, actually, you raised a pretty interesting point before. Um, when you're thinking about remakes or remasters, do you tend to play them alongside the original game? Or do you just kind of remember what the original game was like when you experience it? Oh, I, I think that that's, that's a, generally a personal thing. I mean... I could tell you some horror stories about people I worked with who were in charge of some of these projects who uh, who did the, the absolute bare minimum of things, like, say, playing a port on their mobile phone on the bus for five minutes on the way to work before deciding how, like, your game should play. Um, that literally stresses me out so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so that happened, but... For me personally, I like to go all out. So I'll play the original. I'll replay it like three or four times. I'll I'll keep it uh, on an emulator on my desktop to just boot it up and play when I'm working on a segment of the game or thinking about a mechanic or thinking about like a character design or uh, the integration of something. Because to me, uh, the original is the gospel. It's the Bible that you build everything. Be it a remake or a remaster, you should be absolutely looking at the original game. And then on top of that, I would always have like a full video playthrough that I can load up on the side and my own memories and, you know, any articles I can find related to it. I remember when I was working on the Sega Reborn stuff, I would scour the internet for, for every interview with like the original uh, developers of Golden Axe or, um, you know, James Milkey did a bunch of interviews with um, Yu Suzuki, which were fantastic for talking about like his classic arcade games and how he approached designing them and, and I uh, recreated some of the mechanics of that in the various prototypes and things, which are really interesting. Um, so I, I believe firmly that uh, that you have to have almost an encyclopedic knowledge and intrinsic understanding of these original games before you can uh, before you can say that you you understand them enough to go, I'm going to be confidently remaking or remastering this. That's interesting because I think all of us here at DDNet we do a lot of reviews, and recently there's been a lot of remakes and remasters. I've done lots of reviews where I've just not played the original and I've looked at the remaster for whatever value it had. There was one exception to that, though. This year when I reviewed Mafia Definitive Edition, I was very deliberate in watching 
the Let's Play. I know it's not playing the same game, but watching the Let's Play as I was doing the missions and appreciating the little changes that you make and going, this has had to have been deliberate. What is the value of making this change? Mm-hmm. And I think that helped me appreciate what they did with the remaster or the remake of that game much more because they took a plot that was very 2002 in its uh, inconsistent tone, random need to crack jokes every now and then, and found out what people liked about it and kept that and found out what could be removed to make it more modern and remove that. So to me, the the split there, though, is often um, for what you're saying you traditionally do, where you quite often will approach something kind of blind and just look at it on the, the value of its own merits. You're serving your readership, right? Like the, if you think about who I'm serving and who, who you're serving in different roles, and this tends to be how I like to break things down is very user user facing thinking about like who I'm doing the work for. Um, the majority of your readers probably in a lot of these cases are people who either didn't play the original but have heard about it and are excited about it, especially with something like Demon Souls, right? Like I own Demon Souls, but not that many people actually own Demon Souls. So I'm guessing the most of the people who are playing it on PS5 never had access to it on the PS3. So in a lot of ways, you're serving your readers actually better uh, in, with some of these more niche remakes and remasters by going in blind and trying to assess something on the merits of what it is, because that'll be closer to the experience they're actually going to have. But when you do go to the extra effort and do that comparison and do that breakdown of like what is the value of the change that they've made here, you're very specifically creating like a different type of review and a different type of critique for people. And you know, it depends on who you're trying to, to serve there, but, but I think that that's, that's the split for me. I don't think one is necessarily superior to the other in that sense. I can just say I'm serving myself. Like, whatever review I want to write, I'm, I'm going to write that. <laughs> yeah. I guess there is also the question, I mean, I understand, I mean, looking at the commercials, I guess, of these kinds of games, um, it makes sense to go back to the backlog or to you know the library of the publisher or whatever and pull out some classics that are beloved because firstly it's got the brand recognition so you can therefore find some audience immediately uh, and then also a lot of the kind of groundwork's already been done uh, even if it is a full remake that you're going into there's still a lot of creative work that's already there to, to reference off so I uh, the question I have is whether remakes uh, or remasters are always a good idea <laughs> um, and, or you know and, and if if they are which one is the right way to go and the, the reason I'm going on this thought tangent is I'm thinking back to the Shenmue HD remasters mm. that were released um, when was that two years ago now yeah and I get why they did that because they wanted to get a new generation of people familiar with Shimui before um, the third one came out. But at the same time, all the qualities that made people love Shinmu uh, and its sequel, they, when you play the HD remaster, those qualities are gone. Like, <laughs> they're just not there. That game is one of those games that... Um, aged poorly and i don't like to say the games aged poorly but those, those two did they are because aggressively 1999 because i mean shinmu the whole point the whole power of that game was the fact that it was this brilliantly kind of realistic powerfully kind of uh, you know the visual engine was amazing this was a very kind of decadently expensive game that was released on the dreamcast as a kind of prestige title 
that all of those qualities are gone because games have moved on so far since. So that was probably one example I would think of a remaster that if there was going to be any value to doing it at all, it would have been better to do as a remake. And I say that as somebody who really enjoys Shamu and enjoyed playing around with the, the remaster anyway. But yeah, I, I wonder if there are, well, I'm sure there, there are plenty of examples, I guess, of I mean, remasters have you played and, Silent Hill Collection? <laughs> yeah, remasters and or remakes. Ooh. Not, but, but those those ones are bad because technical issues. Um, in terms yeah. of the actual remake, I'm talking about the actual concept of doing a remake or remaster. Mm. There are oh, some yeah. games that I just don't think should be touched, and or if they are going to be touched, they need to be done the other way. I actually agree with you in the sense that there are some games where doing a remake makes more sense just because the purpose of it, like here you're talking about expanding an audience, right? Um, and if you're talking about expanding an audience and you're remastering a game that is a product of its time, that's just not going to work. Like that, mm. that basically you're choosing the wrong tool for the job. Um, and I think that's kind of the point you're getting at is that they should be trying to match up like whether they're doing a remake or a full-on remaster with whether or not they think it's going to be effective at, at what it's trying to do. Sometimes, though, a remaster uh, is just there to preserve something that's otherwise really uh, locked mm. into like an ancient piece of hardware or it's, you know, in some way just kind of lost in time or was really niche and really rare. Like, I don't know if it would actually have an ability to find a new audience now, but I would, uh, I'd go to wherever the three of you, uh, four of you. Wait, how many people are in this call? There's not, not too many people talking actually. <laughs> We're all just peppering you with questions. <laughs> I'd go to wherever it is that you all live, and uh, you know, just murder you all if it meant that they would remaster Shining Force three, all three parts in English. Um, but I don't think it would find a new audience at all. So. Yeah, well, see, I doubt you want to go to Tamworth, so... Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't even question <laughs> No, the the one that I think is the biggest shame is the Echo Knight series, because I'm so interested in playing those three games, but there is just literally no way that I will ever be able to play them. For those yeah. of you who don't know what Echo Knight is, it is a uh, horror adventure series by FromSoft, and uh, you solve ghost problems as is the best way I can explain it. And it's very, very cool and neat looking. And the third one is set in space and is cool looking. Like I want to play that series. I, I love PS one horror. So like, that's my, my thing is I want to see more of that. I want to see more of, um, Oh God, nightmare creatures. Uh, I don't know if anyone I'm knows actually, that series. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm actually replaying that through on my kind of emulator handheld. I'm playing replaying it's, second. I remember games. playing that game. It's really good. Yeah, it's a. It's a. It's like prototype Bloodborne. It's it's a it's it's interesting. Um, it is a video game. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, def I, to, I definitely to your point, agree I, with what you're saying. I think there is definitely value in preserving a lot of these games that are otherwise lost for example if they were to just package up xenogears one or two one and two um which are playstation one oh dude know. why haven't they done that that yeah, exactly. and parasite eve I where mean, are they yeah where's play, parasite eve what you play you play get Xenog the third birthday that didn't happen <laughs> you play xenogear one and two and they're definitely old games um they definitely feel old they're early era kind of playstation one um no, don't, don't know if they're early era PlayStation 1, but they're early era 3D kind of JRPGs and 
that comes with all the jank that's involved. But they are very difficult to find and or play now. Uh, and I think that just throwing them onto a console with you know a HD sheen like they did with Final Fantasy VIII. Um, or Grandia recently, would, right? Would be a, yeah, exactly. These would these would be good ideas to preserve them. Um, because yeah, otherwise they're, they're lost. I mean, Final Fantasy VIII. Now I mentioned it. That's the perfect example. That game was all but lost. <laughs> you know, they kept remaking they or re-releasing. The code. Yeah, they we lost the source they code. Lost it. Yeah, and then they were just like, "Nope, here have it." No, no, <laughs> no. Happened? They did. They did lost. They had lost it. But dot emu, which is uh, emu, emu, dot emu. I always say emu, but oh, that's dot emu does emulation. <laughs> but we're all Australians. We're thinking about the bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the company they actually reverse engineered it. I think. Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, off the pl- off the PC version, so it's not the perfect. God, they're legends. It, it's not the perfect, um, but it's the only way that game was ever going to be saved, and they managed to save it. So that's a really good example of you know uh, for me for me a game that's just basic HD remaster of a very old game, but definitely worth doing. I well, do I mean, think to your point though that it, you're absolutely right that when you look at a game and you say that this game won't, won't work for the audience that exists for games now that's when you really should be thinking about like is there actually any value in in trying to preserve this is does it need that right now or is the alternative really should be to remake this game because i, I mean the yeah. other thing is shimmer is probably a, a rare example because it is the the qualities of that game were very specific and they had not so much to do with the actual quality of the game uh, as such a what it did in terms of being that big luxurious big budget kind of um soap opera thing so it would be such a hard game for me to remake if i was to think about it it would also be it would also be essential you'd need to bring kind of triple a budget into shenmue to keep what wowed people about the original game still wow see you're saying that we shouldn't remaster odama Probably what not. is that? <laughs> what? Oh, it's so niche. It was a pinball game where you controlled a ball with your voice. Oh, yes. That's the GameCube thing, isn't it? That's the GameCube cursed yeah, game. We, yeah, I always wanted to buy it, but I feel like with every other GameCube game, I feel like if I pick it up, it's going to be like a huge letdown if I actually end up I finding mean, the it, actual copy. <laughs> it's because it's using the GameCube mic. What do you expect? <laughs> they should put it on PS5 weird. and you can use the controller mic. Yeah, you can just <laughs> scream into, into your controller with the triggers pressing. No, the, the game, the GameCube game they need to preserve is Lost Kingdoms. Lost Kingdoms was That's a too niche for me. That was a, Lost Kingdoms was a From Software game um, where yes. you collected a deck of cards and used those cards to summon monsters that then went and did all the fighting for you, and it Bite was real and time. And it, no, but Bait and Chaos is a good example of another one, but not Lost Kingdoms. Um, so, so it needs a Odyssey? collection want... of both one and what two was... re-released, what... and it what... needs a sequel. <laughs> what was the one the Capcom did? Uh, they, you know how Capcom did like they were going Peter to do Joe. five. No, uh, it was it was the one that everybody hated except for a very small audience who Dead absolutely Space loved 7? it. Piano three. Piano three. That's the one. That's the Are one they should. Making games up. No, Piano three. That uh, game. Piano three is real. It's got a cool cover. It's like a cool mecha cover, from what I remember. And it was very minimalist in terms of the art style. Like yeah. the, in, in game, it was all very lots of white. It was very white dominated, and I think it put a lot of people off because it was so different. But there is definitely a small audience for that. Mm. That would be a game I, that I would like to see. I think you'd I don't sell know, that game that to remake. There's probably like 50,000 people out there who'd buy that just to watch the HD version of her idol animation, I guess. That's, that's what people were into. <laughs> that's, that's true. And those 50,000 people would be me. 
Yeah. Also, I guess that's like an action yeah. rumor the Pentagon was with like 50,000 copies of piano <laughs> playing the same animation on repeat for four hours. I was going to say the aesthetics being used in stuff like Mirror's Edge and stuff like that anyway now, so it's not going to be a huge change. Well, that's, I guess, one other point is do some of these remakes actually find a new audience? Um, in, uh, you know, or sorry, do some games actually get rediscovered and reevaluated and Demon kind Souls of reworshipped as a result Demon of this? Souls. Well, I mean, Demon <laughs> Souls always had respect just in so many. The one I'm thinking about is Nia. Um, oh, that was so well made by actual developers now, right? I, I don't like, care. Like, I'm not talking about the sales. I mean, I'm talking more about the the reception it'll get because the original Nia got absolutely slaughtered in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the it's because Metacritic- they didn't play beyond the first ending. Which is well, a fault of the media in general. That's the thing. I, I think it was su- such a different one. It took the commercial su- success of Nier Automata and also the involvement of Platinum Games for them to realise what Yoko Taro's vision was. And I really and think that... extremely cursed shit, we like it. <laughs> and I really think that now Nier is definitely going to be reevaluated. And from that footage that we saw of it... It looks really good. Yeah, it, it does look really, really good. I'm, I'm still so not sure. sure if it's a, a true remake or more a, a remaster. Because part, of, part of me hopes that he just you. like fucks with something in the game just to, you oh, know. Oh, he will. Oh, he will. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the man who made a mechanic where you delete your save file to win the game. Like, I love that. I love this guy. He's a legend. Also, no, he's sold uh, shirt by rolling around on the floor, screaming near Automata T-shirt, which is my, my favorite near Automata. <laughs> my favorite near Automata story is um, when you play the game for the first time. There's like a, a, a name entry screen or something um, for two B, and you go through. You put I, I can't remember exactly what you do, but it's like a a, a setup screen of sorts. What I didn't realize is that the game actually records that in terms of it, it does an exact recording of it and then replays it back um, when you go through the next character arc. And when I played Near Automata the first time, I had to go out or something for a couple of hours. So I just left it on um, while I, on that screen because the action was paused when that happened and went and did my thing. And then I, when I played through the next character arc, this oh, yeah, to wait up. for like three hours. I had to wait for like oh, three hours God. for it to play through before I could continue on oh. with the game. That was that was a that was a very Yokotaro moment. Really, I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's good banter. So good. No, so I, I love that he has the balls to do that. And honestly, I think he will continue to do that shit as long as he lives. And I respect him beyond belief for doing it. That dude does not give a single fuck, and he's so cool. I I actually just love this trend of, like, I wouldn't say FromSoft stuff traditionally was AAA, and I wouldn't say that um, Nier Automata is quite AAA, but I do love this trend of having a few more auteur-style games being made with high production values. Yeah, just, like, weirdo games. I love it. I I fucking love weirdo games. I don't know if I'd call them weirdo. I just like the fact that someone can unilaterally make a decision about what's important to them and yeah. say the game is going to adhere to these things that are important to me. Because normally when a game, if you're making a game with a $100 million budget, right, you might be the lead, the creative director, but there'll be like 
seven other people with a title almost similar to yours and five bosses of yours who are looking at this thing and 20 people in market and just like the number of people who it impacts every tiny decision it can become very difficult to make an absurd decision like that and say that this is of value to the game experience without someone saying but this is going to hurt x person and y person in this this particular segment you know and and i think that there's something to be said about how nice it is to see these large-scale high production value or tour experiences well it's kind of the the hollywood uh, the the no well it's it's the kind of the filmmaking system all, all over again isn't it i mean you look at um the big blockbusters from Hollywood, and they're generally kind of uh, made by committee these days. Um, and you, you look at the credits, and there's like ten thousand people on a who who have worked on a Marvel film, and a lot of them have creative input. And I, that's I, I quite often look at the writers' lists on IMDb yeah, to decide whether so or not long. a movie is going to be compelling or not. And I mean, I don't actually. I, those things are, are good fun and entertaining and they're of course carefully designed to be that way and what happens i think is when you get a product or you know an entertainment product made by committee is that it does tend to be quite entertaining because you know it, it, all the decision making is tuned towards that that's that's all good but yeah the, you, then you get to the you know foreign films or the independent films and something like the lighthouse for example is a very clear um product or not product i don't a, want to call it it's a very clear kind of artistic vision by a single person that was able that is to a then, nerd film and oh the lighthouse yeah. is brilliant i love that it's i think so it's a masterpiece good. uh i can't remember his name now but he's very clear it's the same director as the witch and the green goblin he's a he's a he's a brilliant he's a brilliant director and he was working with two very talented actors and it was a really creative work i think that the games industry has a greater tradition of having games made by committee, uh, I guess. Um, and there's, I don't have an issue with that. I think that a lot of good quality stuff happens as a result, but it is nice to have games made by single directors as well. And that, like you say, they've finally got some budget. They're not just, you know, small little games made by Devil five or May 10 people. Cry, Devil May Cry was saved by Itsuno. I trust him with everything mm-hmm. from now on. So and it, it's that the same. same thing. It's a similar thing with um, Kojima's stuff. I know this is a contentious subject, but um, uh, I've known a few people. My who've friend, worked, I, I've known a few people who've worked on Kojima's games actually, and they've universally the the trend that whenever I've asked them about it is they've said, yes, when you're working on those games, Kojima will will ask you to change the most absurd individual things he's obsessed with the detail of his games and the budgets on these games have been enormous they've been absurd um but yeah just like uh there's there's something that's that's interesting about that and sometimes it's for the worse i'm gonna be honest keep in mind this is the guy who had a character who fucked his stepmom and made his dad like commit suicide this is the same guy (laughs) but the the fact that you can have that is largely because one person does it but but it's not just that like you look at the big beats that's usually what we attribute to like you know this auteur theory stuff is the big beats of something when it's um yoko taro doing the ending of near automata and and that is something that the big game directors can do but big stuff like that can also happen in in a, a more committee driven thing it's the singular cohesiveness of a of a something that's designed by one person that I like the way that everything in the game is is tending to push towards 
whatever it is that they think is important about the experience. And I, I remember the various documentaries about MGS4, which isn't my favorite MGS game, but there is footage of it has Kojima problems. walking around and like asking them to change the height of stairs and positions of boxes and things just to like mess with what he thought was important about the flow of a, a singular little tiny space somewhere. And I always thought that was interesting that like they, that we still had it's kind this of, element. I wonder if that's kind of, I, I would imagine that in most cases, those kind of auto style directors would be the ones that are difficult to work with. I can't imagine it would be overly entertaining for anybody else, but Kojima to be working on a Kojima game. Yes. Um, and it's the same, I've heard much the same about uh, Goichi Suda, who's another, I guess, example of an auteur that works in this industry. You know, his games are very distinctly Goichi Suda games. And I think everybody that works with Goichi Suda knows that they're making a Goichi Suda game and he is going to tell them what to do. Uh, and I think that it's, um, though, though those games are difficult for everybody else to work on, but... It's the only way that those things can be produced. And there's a great example in cinema. Of course, Stanley Kubrick is infamous for being an absolute asshole to work with, really, because he is so specific about what he wants out of his work. Mm. But if he wasn't that specific, his work would not be as clearly defined as his. So, yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I think me personally, if I was working in game development, I would want to work with a Kojima just because... Um, the, the creative process, getting an insight into the, cre the creative process of a person like that would be fascinating. Well, but, it's, a, I mean, it's a tricky one, right? Because if you're working with someone like that, you do lose more of your own ability to put yourself in the game. Like, you're there essentially to build somebody else's thing entirely. Um, whereas games are in, in the, this kind of space are usually a lot more collaborative, I would, I would argue. Um, yeah, there needs to be that culture. I'll start interrupt. Yeah, no, I just think that there there's a difference. And I, I don't necessarily think one is far superior to the other. I appreciate that we have both. I like that we have both. And I, I before you get to, to what you were talking about with the culture, I was going to loop back around to remakes by saying it's funny because Kojima has been uh, remaking essentially his own game for the entire Metal Gear Solid <laughs> uh, series. Yes. I mean, it's, it's true. It is the same game every time, and it's great, and I love it, and I wish he'd remake Metal Gear Solid 3 every time. Please make Metal Gear Solid 3. It's really yeah, good. but I mean, he's like literally remaking <laughs> the story. And half the games are about the plot being, ah, did you realize this was a remake of the story of that game? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! All along, Skullface was actually Vulgan. No, that's not that's not fair. It takes a forty minute cutscene to say that. Yeah, you know, you have to like sit in the car with a man with a skull for a face while a song <laughs> plays in the background because it's Metal Gear Solid Three again. No, I just find that endlessly fascinating to look at. Like the fact that Metal Gear Solid Two is essentially trying to say, oh. "What if we just remade Metal Gear Solid One, but then pretended we didn't, and then flipped it on you at the end by saying how oh, we totally did?" Um, that is a game that like just went over my head in many, many different ways as a child. Like I just did not understand anything. When I got to the end, I was like just afraid. <laughs> I still, I still have to come back because. I yeah, feel like it's in its time, it didn't get appreciated for that for that exact reason. I'm, I'm, a, good ex I'm a good example of that. I was, I was not, I was not a fan of Kojima, as you all know. I mean, Alan you especially did knows. Not, you did not like anything about Death Stranding. You were, I did not. 
until I started to play it, and now I'm Kojima's biggest fan. So I would be. I haven't played Metal Gear Solid since um, Dude, Death Stranding. Solid, I, I wonder if I would actually enjoy them now because I really didn't enjoy them the first time I played. I thought they were pretentious wank. But the thing was, now that I played Death Stranding, which is pretentious wank, <laughs> but it's it's pretentious wank. But it's. The one that well, I think, literally I, has a man called Sam Porter Bridges who builds bridges between society. Alan, Alan, I think that's the point. I think he's managed to bust it's, through the kind of pretentious barrier to the point that I just, you know, he, he's now on the other side and I'm all, I'm all about it. Once it gets to that kind of level of wank, I'm De- all, Death all for it. So. Yeah, Death Strand is not the best pretentious wank. And it's like, it's like the pinnacle of video games right now. And everyone needs to just reach up to that point. There's the a man called game. Die Hardman. <laughs> like, just stop for a second and think. If anybody, had, except for Kojima and his people who make incredibly beautiful games, had made this game, we'd all be standing here talking about that really weird indie game about walking while you carry shit. <laughs> With Die Hardman in the background who dies constantly for no reason. I think I, also I read... that um, it comes to... like. Uh, Daily Premonition had that exact effect. Everyone was like, this is the stupid game with trees. And then people started to get <laughs> used to Swery's work. And then they realized what it is. And then when they re-release it, I think it gets received in a much better and a much more different way. Yeah. yeah. Deadly Premonition's a really good example. And They came with a big cult following in like 2000 and maybe 13. Well, if, it's weird. It had that reputation for being both simultaneously absolutely shit and absolutely brilliant. Um <laughs> It is pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> if ever shit. there was a series of games, let's just sit and talk about remasters for a second. If ever there was a series of games that uh, absolutely should probably just be remastered Stay by an external company that, that want to keep them exactly as they are, but then like fix all no, 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 no. Okay. Large amount of technical flaws from the systems that they were designed to run on and other things. Those games. Those no, games no, 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 no. You, you got this one no, wrong. It needs to run like the, shit. It this needs is, to look like absolute trash. <laughs> this is this is our theory through and through. Those games are deliberately bad. That is a hundred percent true. Those games are deliberately terrible. And do you know how I know this? Because Swery actually makes high quality games as well, right? So in between Deadly Premonition and Deadly Premonition 2, he made some very high quality games which were bug free, they were played really well and so on and so forth. Then comes Deadly Premonition 2 and it plays terribly. To me, that tells me that it was it was all deliberate. Oh, He's deliberately play, made it. No, no, it's absolutely deliberate. I am 100% certain that everything in that game is there because that's exactly what he wanted to make. It crashes the console, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. deliberate. That's exactly what uh, he wanted to make. Uh, I haven't had this issue. When he does made, this happen? <laughs> he made a video of like five minutes of him polishing a bowling ten pin bowling ball oh, as his promotion that, yeah. as his promotion for Deadly Premonition Two. <laughs> he said he's putting polish into it and. <laughs> <laughs> it was him polishing a tin. This guy is just trolling. That no, Deadly Premonition Two. Done, he is convinced a, troll. a publisher to make a extremely expensive shit post. Yeah, exactly. He, this he is it. Made a shit post as a game, and then was like, you know what? Hell yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell this on the, on the Switch as an exclusive because that's the way I want to do it. <laughs> this it was. Owned. This, this was guy. a 
this game was so satirical, it actually was t- satirical down to its mechanics and its bugs because it everything everything about that game is just tuned to take the piss out of everything. I think it's brilliant. I still think the most definitive moment of Deadly Premonition is the first time you see the giant dogs outside and it's fucking horrifying because nothing leads up to it and you just see dogs and it's like, all right, there's, there's dogs. No, I like I like, I like, like the bit early on where you're told, oh, you've got to go to this place at like 9 o'clock by 9 o'clock and there's no way to change time. Like, you can't accelerate <laughs> oh, yeah, so through time. You just run circle for like 12 hours. Yeah, you're just running, yeah. running around in right. circles for 12 hours doing game <laughs> time. <laughs> Just smoking 17 packs of cigarettes <laughs> outside the corner. <laughs> I think we should end it there. That's a good point. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, obviously. And thank you to our esteemed guests and, you know, obviously our special guest for this period. Now, thank you very much for coming and espousing your wisdom. It's very much appreciated. Where can we find you if our listeners would like to find you? Uh, yeah, you can look for Witchbeam Games, which is the the company that I am operating with several other individuals where we make games. Um, you can also look for me on Twitter at Sanatana Mishra, which sounds like a lot. And yeah, good luck ever spelling that. <laughs> and make sure you buy, if you haven't played Assault Android Cactus yet, make sure you play it on whatever platform you can. You can play it's it on good ass game. everything, fun. basically, isn't it? It's yeah, it's pr- pretty much on everything. It's on the the Switch, PS4, Xbox One, PC. You know, no it's Dreamcast been... yet. <laughs> it's, oh. been, it's been around a while. I remember. I think it was like the first time I went to Tokyo Game Show. You were there, showing yeah. it off. Yeah, that was amazing. Actually, that was like six yeah. years ago or something. It's... Don't yeah. make me feel. Quit making me feel bad about not having released a new game recently. <laughs> there will be new games. There's unpacking coming from Tim and Ren soon. That looks fantastic. If uh, if you're into that, um, I'm not actively working on it day to day, so that's why I say it looks fantastic rather than it is, because uh, I only play it intermittently to give serious feedback. Uh, and I'm working on my own little puzzle game, which is tentatively uh, coming out in you know the next like six months time frame, but we'll see how that goes. We will yeah. keep our eyes yeah. out for the news and certainly spread it around digitallydownloaded.net as soon as um, you can tell us about it. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Well, Thanks. thank you everyone again for listening, and we will see you all next month. Oh, one last thing. You get to choose the music as the guest. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have What's chosen, music? and I don't know if you'll be able to use this for copyright reasons, but we'll see. Oh, we just break copyright. It's okay. Yeah, the best is yet to come from Metal Gear Solid 1. Oh, we're going to steal that. It's okay. It's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck we're it. Pirates if I get... No, you can't attack both the UK and Australia. <laughs> Sorry, that works. It kind of rests us all. <laughs>
See? 